Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Hey, welcome to the WBBN podcast tonight. It's on Beaver. Uh, nuisance control beaver. We'll probably also talk a little on the fur trapping end of it. Uh, my name is Kevin Dan. I am the owner operator of Wild Catch Nuisance Animal Control out of northeastern Michigan. And my co-host is Will. How you doing tonight, Will? Oh, I am having a busy, busy, busy season so far. <laughs> I'm Will Langman. I'm the owner operator of Langman's Wildlife and Pest Control in Terre Haute, Indiana. And tonight we've got the world famous Jim Comstock with us. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> now you get to follow up with that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know about world famous. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking beaver control tonight. <laughs> All right. Uh, where do you want to start? Oh, what well, sounds good to you, are, Kevin? Where, you, where you're at? I'm in upstate New York. Um, we're about 120 miles from the Canadian border. We're probably 45 minutes from Vermont. I know most people. I was always reluctant when I was traveling on the road all over the place. People would say, "Where are you from?" And they'd say, "I'd say New York, of course." And then, "Oh, I was things in the Big Apple, ha ha." And so <laughs> I got away from that. I just say Vermont. It was a lot easier. Then there's no explanation. But, uh, yeah, we're just, we're up north, and uh, we're in the foothills of the Adirondacks here, so the conditions that we have are are similar to anything across the the northern tier, you know, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, New York, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, all kind of, you know, same kind of terrain. I get, oh, a number of beaver calls. I usually do... um, 100, 150, sometimes I do a little more than that, in, you know, in the complaint calls. But um, yeah, we're not inundated with beaver here like other areas, but um, we've got, we've got a, a pretty good number, a pretty healthy number. They seem to have, you know, stayed uh, pretty level over the years. But when every time, of course, the fur comes up a little bit, then a lot of guys get out and trap, and then uh, the nuisance calls get reduced a little bit. I imagine it'll be a little less this year because the last couple of years were pretty good for fur. Now, of course, it's back to uh, back down again. But anyway, I don't know where you want to go. What you want to talk about first, or well, let's do the nuisance trapping thing. Uh, talk about your cage traps or your methods that you use or used to use. Well. Um, I guess, you know, if somebody had asked me back, you know, 30, 40 years ago or, or told me, they would have said, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be using cage traps in your old age. And I would have said, you're out of your mind. There's just no way, you know, conor bears were it. And, um, what's happened is it's been an evolutionary process. I like having backgrounds in 
all of the different devices that are out there. I don't want to be a monolithic type trapper where you can only use one thing. And and actually, for a lot of years, I was pretty much that way with conibears. We just used conibears. If we didn't catch them in a conibear, I didn't care. But as soon as you get doing the noose and stuff, you, there's only one beaver that counts, and that's the last one. So unless you have all the devices, you know, um, you're just not going to go out with one device and get every beaver every time. I mean, even snares. Um, I'm, and here in New York, we're pretty much um, have a wide variety of everything we can use. We can use uh, snares, footholds, conbears. Uh, we're permitted to shoot them under permits. We can use, of course, the Baileys and the Hancocks and now uh, the live traps that we're building. So I do have all of those tools, and I've kind of gone through periods of, you know, where I was footholding all the time or I was snaring all the time or whatever, so I'd kind of get on a kick and, and kind of beat it to death and then realize that, you know, that was another tool, but none of them was, you know, just kind of a cure-all. And then... Um, I don't know, it's 20 years ago I had an idea for a cage and just thought we could have one, one cage trap that was designed after a conibear with a wire trigger. It would probably be a superior device from the standpoint, if you have a trap that's 40 inches long, that means your trigger's 20 inches recessed into the trap. A conibear is a flat trap. It only springs out five inches from center. They're 10 inches high. Some of them are a little bigger. But still, basically, you've got a plane, and the trap goes in both directions, five or six inches, and that's it. And it reaches out, and it can actually kick animals out at time if they're not squared up to the trap. Whereas with a cage trap, it's a swim-through, power-door, wire-trigger trap, um, and it's also set up so that it has quite a bit of travel in the trigger, which allows the beaver then to even pass center when he's caught so when that trap fires the beaver is uh the body on a on a on a 50 pound beaver will be about 32 inches long from the from his nose to the base of his tail so if you've got a trap that's 20 inches to center with four or five inches of trigger travel with the trap that's set upside down with a power door when the trap fires his back feet are over the door, and it pushes him right in. The only thing that's remaining out is the tail. He pulls his tail in, and he's caught. So as far as beaver actually springing one of those traps, a whole lot more of a rarity than it is with, uh, say, uh, uh, a conibear. And, I, I mean, I've had excellent luck with conibears, too. Uh, I went through periods of um, setting you know, just used to set the channels years ago, and then I started getting into caster, and of course now I love the caster with them. But I got into 660s, and then I even made my own self-supporting 660s, so I've got a couple different kinds. And um, what's what's nice about those, I mean, I could do the same thing with the caster I do with the cages, and I've had very good luck. But if you're doing nuisance work and you're around populated areas and you've got kids and dogs, you're thinking when you go to bed at night, are you going to have um, some sort of a, a problem, um, you know, somebody getting into your trap? And you just don't want to be in the paper in the morning with, you know, something happened. So that's that's the thing that kind of steers me away from 
you know, uh, footholds and uh, conner bears and even snares sometimes is the safety factor. I got to I got to turn this dog down. <laughs> I don't know they only had that. a volume control. Oh my god, it's my daughter. It's my daughter's dog, and we're blessed with it for a month. <laughs> but anyway, um, the uh, the safety factor, you know, of course, in any ADC thing and perception and everything else, it's nice to have uh, something where you go to bed at night and you just don't worry about it. Uh, I was telling some stories about things I had happen. I mean, I caught a trapper in a 3.30 one day. Um, I had set it for otter. I was using the Leffler frames that they were set in probably, you know, three feet of water. So the, the whole frame was completely underwater. And, um, of course, when he called me up afterwards, he said, uh, I never saw those traps. And I said, well, that's kind of the plan. <laughs> I don't really want anybody to know what I'm doing because I don't want to have anything stolen. And he stuck his foot in one. And last year when I was uh, actually, I'm down in a pond, this uh, golden retriever comes screaming down, jumps in the pond, of course. He's over scratching in an old beaver house, swimming everywhere. And I'm looking up and down. He's, he's swimming up and down the channels right where I just got done setting the cages. And I'm thinking, I'm very happy I don't have a 660 Magnum in there. But um, the cages now is pretty much all I use. Uh, last year, out of 126 beaver, I took 119, which translates to 94%. I think I, I got one in a Hancock. I got a couple in 660s. I got a couple in snares. Uh, I think I got one in a CDR. So like I say, I've got all the devices, and I use them when I have to, when it, just the way the situation is. But uh, it's a whole lot more of a rarity now. A lot of times I'll go down to a pond. Uh, if I can get there just about dark, it, it seems a little bit counterintuitive. I know a lot of people will say, well, you get there first thing in the morning and whatever. I say, yeah, I'm usually out by the crack at noon. But a lot of days I don't really, really even get to a pond until uh, 7, 8 o'clock. I want to get there at dark. I want to put the, put the trap out with a little bit of lure. Um, the the beaver are coming out. I stand a whole lot chance of, a lot less chance of catching non-target stuff because as quick as I put the trap out, the beaver's popping his head out of the house. He smells the caster, and if if you stuck around, you'd probably see most of them get caught. I've I've watched them get caught and heard the traps go off and everything else when when you get there late like that. And if you set a pair of traps where there's just a pair of beaver, a lot of times at dark you come back first thing in the morning, you got them both. You're there 10 minutes setting them, you're there 10 minutes picking them up. But um, if I if I go into a spot and, and there's, a, you know, good channels that present themselves and they're real easy setting, that's fine. I'll go right to them. But otherwise, uh, I say I'm, I'm pretty much a caster guy now. I've had such great results with it. I mean, the stuff is, uh, anybody who's used it, it's just a beaver magnet. And, they'll, you know, they'll turn right around and come right to you. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> okay. Uh, say you you have a pond that's got, uh, let's say, uh, mom, a dad, uh, a couple of two-year-olds that are going to get kicked out, and you may have uh, one or two one-year-olds. So you, you trap, say, three of those, and you say, well, how many do I have left? How do you judge 
what you have left? Or is there any left? Um, well, uh, depending on the situation, the first thing I do, I'll go down to a pond when I remember, I put a boot print in the dam. So if I've got that to work with, the only part, like, I, I know, um, you know, if, if you can get to a, a beaver house, and I sat beaver houses in Virginia for years, and a lot of them you could just go and set the front doors with the 330s, and it was, it was, it was real easy setting. And the only thing is now, a lot of the ponds I'm at, I, I don't know where the beaver house is. And, and somebody will come out and ask me, you know, wh- where's the house? I'm like, you got me swinging. Is it missing? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where it is. I don't look for it. I'm looking for the main dam. The main okay. dam is where the, that's the focal point. The beaver are going to be down to the main dam. And the main dam may only be like tonight. The main dam is uh, 18 inches high and four feet wide. It's just in a little ditch, and that's that's their dam. But that's that's where they're going to come down to. So I'll put a little hole in that. And um, if it's a place they've called you in, and um, it hasn't had any beaver in it for a while, a lot of times it's just got a pair. Now, if you go into a place you say it's got big numbers, you're obviously just going to stay there until the plugging stops. I mean, if they if you're if you're catching beaver, and I will set four, five, or six traps if I go in and I look and I see, yeah, they've been there a while. There's quite a bit of sign. Looks like there's a couple of litters. You know, you've got a double colony with uh, yearlings and two-year-olds in there. Seems like those colonies can have you know three or four of each. You could have you know three two-year-olds and four little ones and two big ones. You could have nine of them. So it doesn't hurt to have you know four, five, six traps in a, in a spot like that. Okay, so what you're saying basically is if you break the dam, uh, they will come. They're gonna they're gonna come down to that dam to plug it. If 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 they're there, they're gonna plug it uh, like 99% of the time. And right. so I I may I may have a trap uh, like in this case. This is great. I've got a channel there where I can I put four traps in tonight uh, just before dark and. When they when they come down to you know check it out, usually they check the dams out almost on a nightly basis. Anyway, they swim the the perimeter of the pond. This this is a four foot dam. It's a nice little channel. So when they come down, um, we'll be um, I'll probably have them all. The only thing is this year I like this time of year I don't think there's much there, but there are some muskrats. And then this is getting into turtle season, so I I dropped in four sets tonight rather than just a pair. If I did, uh, but I can qualify that. If I those are in the channel, and they were just easy to do. Now, if I had put caster down, I might have just put in a pair of sets, two sets side by side caster, one caster mound behind it, and um, the caster doesn't have to be close to the trap by any means. I don't like to crowd it. I'll set the, the traps five, ten, twenty, fifty feet away from the caster as long as they have to go through that trap, um, coming or going to get you know, to the caster. What I found out with the conibears, too, is that um, when you come back and you check, you find that half of the beaver were coming in on a caster mound and the other half were going out. And when you watch them, some will come in and dive right under, go right through your trap, and the next beaver will come in all the way around from who knows where, circle around, go up on the caster mound, mark over the caster that's there, satisfies curiosity, slips back in the water, and as long as your trap is lined up between the caster and the pond, he's going through it, going backwards. And you say you got two shots at him, and it really doesn't make any difference 
which way you catch him as long as he's in a trap. That's true. So you you say, do you make your own caster bait, lure, I should say? I grind up some caster, and then I I throw everything. You know, sometimes I'll throw a little glycerin in it. Or um, I remember one time I was um, doing a demo, and I said something about caster, and and Paul Grimshaw said, put some Tonquin in it. He says that'll make it work good. So I, I'll go get a bottle of that artificial Tonquin. And it's it's I guess the I don't even know the the real Tonquin. They say you can't even get it anymore, and I don't think it makes any difference. It's artificial stuff, whatever it is. It, it puts a, a, a little extra onto it. I'll put a little oil sack into the um, – but, you know, it's like as far as caster goes, I don't know if I've ever ever had a good batch, but I've never had a bad batch. If it's, if it's, if it's got caster in it, a beaver's coming to it. I don't know – I don't know if there's anything you could mix with it that that wouldn't work. You know, you could put vegetable oil or mineral oil or anything you wanted with it, and as long as it's got a caster base, that that beaver's coming to it. Right. Yeah. Basically, all you're doing with the oil is kind of spreading it out a little more, making it well, more pliable. Or well, a lot of times I'll put the um, I might put a little caster up in a bush. You know, I mean, as far as making a real caster mound, yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll just to put moisture up there, I'll grab a handful of leaves, put it on the bank, because that's what the beaver's doing anyway. And you you put a little with it. Uh, it'll help hold, uh, you know, keep it moisture. Uh, but I'll put some right at the water's edge. And um, when you do, if it's got a little oil in it, what you'll see is, I don't know what they call it, but the uh, the the pressure, the oil itself, of course, floats on top. So when the oil hits the top of the water, you'll see it fan out and start pushing. You have leaves and and grass and you know pine needles and stuff that's sitting on top of the water, and that oil will just push it. I mean, three, four, five feet, it starts going. And so you you can see a beaver's nose is right on the water level. So. Yep. He's going to smell it, and that's the other thing. With the wind direction, if the water, um, you put the oil on the water so the lure is right there in his face, the wind direction usually, if it's coming even from the opposite direction, it'll swirl a little bit. If he picks up just one little tinge of caster, he's coming to it, and you don't you don't need much. I'd say I remember one time, I mean, when you, when you grind up your own caster, you have access to it and whatever. A lot of times, you know, I'm smearing it on there. But I had one night, I forgot my bottle, and all I had was a, a jar that had a paper towel that had a remnants of a little bit of caster on it where I might have wiped it off or something. And I picked it up, smelled it, and said, well, if I can smell it, a beaver can. And I was using cotton bears at that time, and I remember just ripping the little towel in half, putting a piece behind each one, I had a beaver in each trap. Cool. So it, it, they, they got a great nose. Great nose, great hearing. They can't see anything. <laughs> they'll, they'll swim right up to you. Um, had one, had one a couple of years. Well, a few years ago, I, I had them, you know, coming right up to me. I'd go back to the truck and get the rifle because I was afraid. Because, you know, you put the lure in and out of your pocket. It's on your hands. It ends up on your coat and everything else. You smell like a beaver. And right. the, the big males, you know, they'll come right up to you. And um, so I'd go back and get the rifle because I was afraid of getting bit. And I'd, I'd shoot them, you know, at literally six feet. So 
there was one night I I didn't have the the rifle with me. I just had the potato hook, and I thought I'm I'm going to get this bugger too. So he smelled the lure and he kept coming in closer. And then I started enticing him. I make made little noises like I was chewing, and he came right up and I beamed him. But they'll they'll come in that close. Yeah, I know Not- trout fishing. Uh- you know, they swim right out in front of us within 20 yards or thereabouts. And as long as we don't make a big sudden movement, they don't slap the water and go down. They're usually just, like you say, nose, uh, just breaking the water and just making their hydraulic wake, you know? Yeah, they're, they're not really a, if, if If they smell another beaver, which is the caster that you've got in your pocket, if they smell that, they, they really don't care that you're a person because they've got to be able to smell both, you know, mm-hmm. but, but they're so overwhelmed by the fact that there's another beaver in their area that they don't pay any attention to the human scent at all. And, and obviously they're downwind of you. Right. Yeah. Everybody you talk to say that, I mean, obviously uh, most wild game have a keen sense of smell and they say that they fear the human, um, I, you know, I guess if you're not throwing sticks at them or bone arrows or whatever, that they're not going to technically fear you. Because, like I say, they swim by us within uh, 20 yards or, or even closer while we're fishing and think nothing of it. They go down down river and come back up with the stick, and you know, next thing you know, they come back again. So they're not they're not that fearful of humans. Uh, I would imagine in areas if they're if they're being harassed than they would be, but other than that, uh, they're pretty, well, pretty agile. A lot of times, too, I mean, they're they're right in neighborhoods, you know. They're, they're right behind somebody's house, and you know darn well they smell people every single day. So they're not, you know, just not afraid. So are most of your nuisance, the nuisance calls um, kind of like in suburbs, or are they... Where do most of your calls come from? Well, they're actually a wide range. I mean, I'm up in the southern Adirondacks, so it's kind of remote. There's, you know, there's a house here and a house there, but what it is, those places, it's just, um, you know, culvert plugs, plug-ups, you know, so the highway department's calling me for those. Right. And um, I say they're, they're fairly remote. There's places, you know, where there's, you know, not many houses at all. But the roads have to be maintained, and so, you know, they start plugging culverts. And I, I Sometimes, I mean, literally, I'm in people's backyards. I can be. Um, but it's just a whole range, I guess, a whole variety. Yeah. Do you do any uh, preventative maintenance, like add uh, culvert guards or anything like that in your business? You know, I haven't got into that. Okay. Sounds like he's covered um, up enough just getting rid of the beavers. <laughs> huh? Yeah. But, you know, um, probably if you got into that kind of stuff, um, well, I, I usually try to get the highway departments just to put in grates, you know. Right. But, you know, just, just the way things are, I asked the highway the other day on one. I said, how come they took the grate off of there? He said, we didn't. I said, no, somebody stole your grate? Yeah. He, he said, yeah. I said, well, what for? He goes, scrap. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, how much can 70 pounds of scrap steel be worth? 
You know, it's like, oh my God, uh, they will. Some of the highways will at least they'll uh, you know put a chain on and bolt it back to the culvert. Right. Well, yeah, I, um, whenever I do something like that, uh, I get the um, stone shaker screens from uh, the local aggregate, and you know they may have a hole in them or something like that. As far as no good for the uh, stone for the the uh, filtering of the stone, and they just throw them out. You know, they just yeah, go ahead and take them, Kevin. You know, and, but what oh, I find that's a great yeah, idea. I, yeah, what I find is uh, most people steal the T post more than they do the screen. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, you're looking at, uh, I don't know, maybe a $4 T-post at mm-hmm. best, mm-hmm. you know, and you have 10 cents worth of wire to hold it on, you know. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, you you go there and you find your culvert back all pushed full of mud because somebody sold your T-post and your screen's packed full of mud, you know, uh, laying down and just covered up with the debris that the beavers pushed back up. Now, of course, you know you're running the same thing we're running into. Um, if, the, if the culvert is plugged at the mouth at the screen, it's, it's easy to maintain. But if it's, you know, the worst thing to have is like a, a four-foot culvert that's plugged 20 feet down in, you know? And I had one of those, too. <laughs> it, was, it was actually at a naval, it was at a military uh, chemical depot, and it flooded over the streets and everything. Oh, that was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's it's a nightmare sometimes. Oh, that was a total blast. We actually go. To, we went to the other side of the culvert and we're starting to pull sticks through the other direction, trying to loosen it up, and it finally just gave. Oh, no! Oh. When they finally, when you finally get a hold of them and you get them to puke out like that, it's nice. But I swear, some of those things, you you think that they're they're like glued in. You know, you're one stick at a time. Oh yeah, that was that was basically it because I wasn't walking in the culvert, so I had like our chimney rods with a hook, just sticking yeah. one stick at a time. One stick at a time, and two hours later, and, and you removed <laughs> like six inches of, of the cul- of you know, the dam. Oh, it's hateful. Yeah, but once you get it loosened, all that pressure just pushes it right out. <laughs> oh, that's nice when they blow out. Yeah. Yeah. I see we have a fellow on from uh, Central Kentucky. How are you tonight? Yep, that would be Anthony Wilcox. <laughs> okay. Good, Will. Good, Jim. How are you all? We're doing good. good. We, we kind of got the show on the road. Uh, we're letting Jim speak about his cage traps that he uses and his other experience. I'm sure you've been on a little bit, so you've been hearing what we've been talking about. Yes, I have, and I was going to ask Jim. Jim, have, do you all got coal fields or nat- natural gas lands in your part of the Adirondacks? N- not, not that I know of. No, I didn't. I didn't know because my most of my beaver work is down here in the Appalachian, in the mm-hmm. coal fields and stuff, and the wetlands that the natural gas guys put in. I do a lot of control work on beaver in the sludge ponds, or mm-hmm. ponds, as they call them. The EPA finds the coal fields and the natural gas people out to yank for every pond that had beef ramp. And they're, just, they're so fertile. What goes in the ponds is lime and iron. And when they dig these ponds, the cattails and the willows pop up overnight. And every pond in East Kentucky has beef ramp. Wow. So, 
Tell, us, tell us who you are and uh, where you're from and the name of your business, Anthony. Oh, my name's Anthony Wilcox. I own the Wilderness Company. I'm from central Kentucky. I trap all over the state of Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia. Uh, I'm more... I'm more old school trapping, probably like Jim. I use a lot of cages. I don't do a lot of residential work. I do a lot of different areas and do a lot of beaver, do a lot of coat, and a lot of coon, possum, skunks, groundhogs, and that sort for the horse industry. And there's that uncomfortable silence. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't, no, I didn't, I didn't, know, really. you I know, didn't know if he was thinking or not. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I was waiting for you to ask questions before I started answering. <laughs> oh, you, can go, you can go ahead and spill your guts if you like. Oh, <laughs> you know, just like I said, mostly what we do is uh, during the winter, we've talked before, starting right at, Right after Thanksgiving, we start putting out snares, and I'll run somewhere between 250 to 400 coyotes set today. And we'll run through the end of March. We average somewhere around 160, 200 coyotes a winter. We slip in a lot of beaver work during that time and travel backwards and forwards out of eastern Kentucky working for the coal fields and wetlands that the natural gas people put in control the beaver up in that part of the mountains. And during the summer, at the end of March, we turn around and start working on the coons, the possums, the skunks, the groundhogs on the horse industry. And the reason we do that on them areas is because of disease control. They carry three different diseases to the horses that uh, will devastate a bloodstock of thoroughbreds. I mean, absolutely devastate them. Wow. Now, do you use, um, um, you say, some cage traps for beaver? And What are you using, like the Hancocks? No, no. Uh, Jim, I've seen some of your equipment. Uh, our biologist who quit the department and got into the nuisance business just recently, and he has bought some of Jim's traps. And, man, there's some good-looking traps. Uh, no, I've okay. not used... I've not used cages on beaver, strictly on beaver when I'm in the mountains. I've, I, I, my leg hole traps, of course, I've got the MD750s, I've got the long spring bridgers, but I've bought probably 125 or so of them TS85s. Love them traps. Absolutely yeah. love them leg holes. Well, I'm a TS85 fan here. Yeah, that that, ex, that extra inch has got to make a huge difference, and I wish we could use them. They won't let us use them. But it, it makes a huge difference. They're fast trap, very well made trap. Yeah, and, you know we use a lot of three thirties and snares as well. You know I'll call nothing. I'm just not in the area. And in central Kentucky here, we're not in residential areas where I've ever had to be concerned about using cages for beaver. Uh huh. So you know. Oh, oh, you're pretty much away from people and stuff. Yes, and in the Appalachian, in them coalfield areas, in them strip mining areas, in the deep mine areas, yeah, there's nobody around. 
the the thing is like here where we are i'm not required to use cages by any means and of course i've only been using them now for uh i guess it's four and a half years but the reason i use them now is the versatility the stability the reliability everything that goes with it because i mean even when you use conibears perfect set perfect run and everything a beaver will come up and turn around and kick it he'll spray he'll go over top of it or something he'll spring them and you get a trap wise beaver and with the cages you don't have that happen very very rarely do they ever wise up if they're wised up to a cage it's because they were already wised up to a conibear they just don't like swimming into something but um the the cages themselves uh literally I'll come to a, a spot, and I'm just a hip boot guy. I know some guys wear chest waders. I get too hot in the summer, and I don't want to wear them. And, but, yeah, I'm uh, a hip boot guy myself. Yeah, they, they, the you know, they get hot. That, but you'll come up to a run, and the, the run might be, uh, you know, out there a little bit, and it might be a little deeper than you can reach. I literally take the trap, set it, and throw it in. And you can't do that with any other trap that I've ever heard of. And yet you throw that trap out into the center of the creek, take a good look at it, maybe take your tater hook, straighten it out a little bit if you need to, walk away, and that's it. Just right. Um, you can throw I, it in the water. Right. We, uh, I, like I said, guys, I'm old school. I come from the fur trapping industry in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, I worked as a professional trapper. Them deep channels, <clears throat> I'll go. Believe it or not, I'll find them, and we've got a lot of bamboo growing down here. And once I find them and measure my depths, I can sink a conibear eight to ten foot deep and place it in a channel and catch them. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, and pretty, very successful at it. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, when we go, you know, when I go into Cofields areas, I don't charge per beaver. I charge per week. I'm working for that company, and they pay me a weekly fee for being there. And when we hit these ponds, I'm talking everything from the conibear to the leg hole to the snare. They're swamped. I've spent many an evening sitting on a mountainside with a 223 and a scope, popping that away. You know, we clean ponds. We use all methods, and we get out. Now, when you're trapping on a weekly basis, are you out there for eight-hour days? Uh, yeah, we're out there. We're out there from daylight to dark in them coal fields. Yes. And and um, I'm wondering uh, how many colonies are you working during the course of an eight-hour day? Well, now see that that's not. They may be some weeks that I'm working two or three colonies. They may be some weeks I'm working one. It's according to where I'm at in the mountains at that time. I've been up there where for two weeks and have done nothing but drove around from Coalfield area to Coalfield area following the EPA guy around so he could see me on the place. I never set a trap. Oh wow. Then we turn around and go then we turn around and go back in after he leaves and get rid of the beaver. Mhm. So, you know, you can be in one county here in eastern Kentucky, and it will literally take you eight hours to go from one end of the 
strip mining area to the other end up inside them mountains on them coal roads. Wow. I went, there's one road that I drive, one area that I've took care of for three years. It's 18 miles from the township on a coal road to get back to the site. And it takes two and a half hours to drive them 18 miles. Oh, boy. Yep. I mean, just rough, rough terrain. Sounds terrible. (laughs) Well, I guess that's why I've got that business, because I will go do it. Wow. You know, if they're willing to write a check, I'll go. I'll go in them mountains and do that. Yeah. And now yeah, okay, I'm getting a little old for that. <laughs> yeah, sounds like some rough spots. Woo. So, but you know, that's what we do for a living, right? Yeah. Where we're at. Same I, thing, I like. Uh, go ahead. I say I like driving up to the pond and putting my right front wheel in the pond. <laughs> you know, roadside. <laughs> well, I've got that's my easy working when I'm working on the horse farm here in Central yep. Kentucky. Yeah, uh, I climb out of a truck and climb on a John Deere Gator, and I made you know right now. I just walked in before the call, and right now I've got 125 cages out, and some wow, wow, wow. Uh, oh, wow, 152 20 conveyors out. So I'm Whoa. Man, I'm you, a, you are you're a trapper. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever seen some of his pictures? My God! <laughs> no, holy cow! I can't uh, I can't even I can't even imagine running that much steel. <clears throat> I do that every day, every single all day. I could, all I could picture is a cowboy. So you know. Oh. <laughs> well, then you must not, be. Well, top it all that, you must be a very wealthy man. No. <laughs> No, well, I'm, I'm a very blessed man. Uh, you so know. Uh, maybe you could, uh, you know, bring the turtle man along. He'd give you some pointers. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I, you know. I think every single one of us shakes our heads when somebody says that. <laughs> uh, you know. Well, you know. Guys, he's, he's probably 40 miles from me here, and he's such yeah. an embarrassment. You know, he's what? He's such an embarrassment. <laughs> oh man! Do you remember Billy the Exterminator a few years ago? Uh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Boy, oh boy, that was. I can't even imagine somebody showing up looking like that to to come and spray my house. I'd I'd have to say, no, I'm good. I, I'll, I'll live with these bees. They're fine. <laughs> now you know, I'm a, you know I'm a pretty rough old boy. I fit. I guess I fit the character of what I do. Most probably, I probably couldn't do residentials. You scare everybody when you got to the door. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Who you the know. heck? You know, like I said, I'm an old trapper, and you know, I I stay low key and all in these big land management areas, and that's what I like. Now, you're trapping a lot of woodchucks too. Yes, right yeah. now, like I said earlier, with the, yeah, I've got 150 conveyors out right now. Okay. So. So you don't need to use the cage traps so much for the woodchucks because you're in kind of more remote areas where you're not having contact with people? Right, right. Like I said, I, right now I'm trapping, I'm trapping a farm that's 3,500 acres. It's four different farms, but it's one owner. And it's, you know, so that's why it's, that, 
that's why I have so many cages and conurbators out right now. <laughs> oh wow, that's a lot. Yeah, and they they you know when they hire me in there, they tell everybody you know stay away from his equipment. Everything's marked. We go in, yeah. we put the cages for possums and coons and skunks, and then we go in and just cover. You will not. I don't care. I've done this 25 years. You will not eliminate a groundhog population by using just cages. No. I've, I've never... Okay, when, when you say just using cages, now I'll qualify that. Okay. How, how are you using the cages? Well, it's just like going to major... In my area... There's one field I'm in, I say this field's probably 20 acres. Yeah. And we go in, and there's probably, in that 20 acres right now, there's probably 15 colonies, different colonies of groundhogs. Right. So you get to a colony, and there'll be five holes. Right. Well, I would have to take five cages and literally box them in and cover them holes. And then, but then you're blocking the groundhogs that you might be missing out in the field that you ain't seeing that can't well, get in. That's why I say now, uh, are you talking any bait? Yeah, you. I use heavy bait in my traps. Okay, see, that's the difference. Um, I used to use what we called bait and weight for everything, and... Uh, now I, I'm almost exclusively baitless trapping. And what we do with the cage traps for woodchucks is put nose cones, double door, power door traps over the holes, just like you would set uh, a conibear, and it does the same thing. You catch them coming or going, no bait. Uh, I had a guy call that he had woodchucks in his barn. He had, had put a bait trap out the year before, caught one woodchuck for the whole summer. Right. And, and I'm watching the woodchucks running in and out of the holes. I said, well, here's a spot to set. Here's another one. I saw the, just saw them go down the hole. So we walked in the barn, set one, walked around back, set another one, came back in. We already had the one that we just set. While we're talking about putting in more traps, second trap went off. We had him. I set four more traps. He called me a couple hours later, and he said, you got four more. I had six woodchucks in, in four hours. Right. And, but, Jim, where I travel, where I travel these farmlands, yeah, like I said, I've already got 125 cages on this farm. Yeah, it would take. Oh, I've got 100 bears out. It would take another 150 cages to do that. And oh yeah. It, it already, well, no, no, it's a lot easier to put out the conibears, bears, I'm sure, than to put the cages. We're we're just around people so much that you know we they just expect us to use cages. See, I'm never around people. Uh, you know, I mean, there's people on the horse farms working and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's not. You know, I don't have to worry about the neighbor. When I go on these farms, everybody knows I'm there. Everybody yeah. knows they clear. You know. Yeah. So that's yeah. Nice. I, I would I wouldn't dare set conibears that you know because I mean the woodchucks now we're setting for the well, the woodchucks it's all right in town you know. Right. I mean right. they got a garden they got a flower garden or a vegetable garden they're right in town <laughs> and you'd be catching the neighbors' cats and dogs and oh you'd have a mess. Uh, oh, there are those states that uh, they require you to use the conibears though too. You got to kill them on sight, kind of thing. Not really. I, I guess I phrased that wrong. You don't have to use the conibears, but you have to kill them on sight. Right. 
Oh, really? I, we don't have to kill on site. Well, in fact, like with woodchucks and skunks and stuff, we can turn them loose in the same county. Oh, yeah. We can re- Indiana, we're lucky here. We can just release anything anywhere pretty much. We can yeah. use any method we want. But I've seen a few guys on the groups where their, their requirements require them to put them down on site, so they're just going ahead with conna bears, boxing All them in time. and just catching the groundhogs when they come out. Um, All right. I'm in one of the most lenient states they as far as camping laws and game laws here in Kentucky. And, you know, like I said, the conor bear is such, such a useful tool. Are, know, you, are you using the, the what, what is it, uh, is it, 160s on those? No, I use the 220. I mean, I've got the 160s, but my favorite craft is the 220 size frame. Uh, okay. I, I use mostly strictly. I have some people call them Belize. Some call them Belize. Yeah, Belize, yeah. Yeah, I use them. That's probably 90% of my conor bears that I use and love them. Oh, yeah, they, they put them right down. Oh, yes. No, I love those, too. I use, I use the, the uh, Belize for, for beaver, too. Uh, yeah. you know, we, started, we started out back in the '60s using Victors because that's all there was, right. and then and then we went to uh, I I all but begged Richard Butera to make a Magnum Conibear uh, for years. I just kept pounding on him, and finally he made some. He he sent him some some guys, and uh, they uh, they didn't say too much about them whether they liked them or not. I said, you just send them to me. And um, he sent me, I think he sent me a dozen of them. I said, well, send me three or four. He sent me a dozen. And the first day I went out and I set four of them. And, the, you know, any of the conor bears would catch a beaver. And they, they were okay on otter, but not great. But the tight closing one would have been better for everything. You know, beaver, otter, rats, the whole works. And the first day I had four rats in a row. I had one by the tail. And I, I stood there with tears in my eyes. I was so happy I couldn't stand it. Because I'd missed so many rats over the years in the regular 330s, the gap about a quarter, you know, one, one and a quarter, one and a half inches after they fire. But then, then the Belials came out, and, and I've kind of, I still use the BMI sometimes, but uh, Belials are great. And when you turn them into 660s, man, it, it sounds like a gunshot when you fire one. I bet it does. And, oh, you know, I, they're loud. You know, with blouse, I, I like them just all around, everything about them. I like their safeties on them. Yeah. You know, the safe trap, you know. I, you I know, know I, are the blouse, um are they the ones with the built-in crush fires? No. You know what I'm talking about? That's Savage Oak. Okay. These 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 have a Canadian bend. They just it's it's I don't well, I don't know I don't know it's a, a crush bar it's a third bar. These just these they close tight. Right. Uh-huh. right. They close dead tight. It's they called it a Canadian bend, but they're all different now. But they made one with a third jaw on it, the Savage O, and that's okay. That's kind of like that. Um, what is it that that twelve sixteen John Coretti trap. But uh, I just like the Belials too. I think they're the greatest. Yeah, I like them. I, only thing I only thing I change on the Belials only is I don't like cable on on my conor bears. Oh, beaver twist cut. I put machine chain on them. Yeah, that's what I do too. 
Yeah, I put about five to six foot on my three thirties, and I put two to three foot on my two twenties. That that's exactly what I do. I got five feet of machine chain on my my three my three thirties and six sixties. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know what's what's nice too. I'm just able to wire them up with some 14 gauge wire, light wire. You know, put a little twist on because there's so much of a sweep. They never really get any purchase on it. Don't wind it up, and they never break it. I uh, yeah, I totally agree. And the only thing I, I put a little heavier wire just because of the otter. I've had yeah. otter roll. Them. Yeah. You know, uh, otters a whole lot tougher than a bee. Ever thought about me? Right. You know, I've had them. Um, Right. If you if you play with your conibears a little bit too, Rich Butera taught me a little bit about adjusting them. And I know people talk about filing and grinding and doing all the other stuff, but um, the the best way to adjust them for quick throw is you take that uh, trigger and put it in the vise, and you uh, squeeze it up just snug, and you tap on it with a hammer, and you flatten it out so it raises the saddle up. And you want the saddle where the notch is, where the dog's going to set. You want it to be just about one degree past center. And then when that trigger fires, it'll only go travel. Uh, you can you can make them too sensitive, so they'll just you know you just touch them and they'll fire off. But if you have it down where you got just about an inch of travel, uh, you catch a lot of the otter you know right around the neck. It'll flatten them right out. Really? Yeah. Is that on the blouse? Yeah, on, the, on any of them. But the Belial now, see, the first trigger that came out on a Belial um, was absolute hunk of junk. And they they had a ton of complaints. And what it was is the there it was not an oval shape in the triggering part of it. It was round. So it went right around the bar, and you thought, oh, that's fine. Well, there's, there's no uh, move. Uh, it becomes a... T- the ones that are right round, tight around there are only a two-way trigger. But the ones that have an elongated oval opening means when the animal hits it from the side, it'll push it sideways and kick the kick the dog out. But right. like I say, um, I would tap them with a hammer and then and then hold the trap in my hand and, and keep testing it to see if I got it exactly where I wanted it to. Sometimes after a while, you know, you know, Tap, tap, and you look at it, and you got it just right. You can uh, get it almost right the first time just with a couple bangs with a hammer. If you go past center, it won't set at all. So then you just take a vice grip, and you tighten it down snug till, till it comes tight onto uh, the, the trigger. And then you pop it off, take two more twists, and then put it back on and squeeze it, and it pops that top back up again and drops the saddle down. So the idea is basically that you're you're bending that metal at the top to to raise that saddle so it's just barely over center, and then you you've got a very short trigger travel, and you'll catch everything. Uh, you know, even otter otter and beaver will be neck caught rather than catching them way back in. And then that I say that Belial trigger is a honey. That is a four-way, and it is a beauty. I heard you mention Paul Grimshaw earlier in the conversation. Yeah. He's quit, he's quit Dylan uh, altogether, ain't he? Yeah, he's had health problems. Right, right. Well, well, you know, he's, Paul, uh, 
back in the late 80s, come up there to Otter Trap and Andrew Rod Dykes, and I never did get to go. Did a lot of business with him, but I never did get to meet Paul. Oh, yeah. He's he's heck of a good egg. He, and, you know, Paul is one heck of a woodsman. I'll tell you, he's an all-around guy. In the wintertime, when regular fur seasons weren't open or whatever, he was out trapping red squirrels for the tails. Uh, yeah. As soon as spring comes, he's out picking, you know, digging fiddleheads. And, uh, I mean, he's he's an outdoorsman. Yeah, we're 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 uh, harvesting morale mushrooms here right now, and oh, are you? Yeah, morales are popping up everywhere. So, but well, while we're on here and we was on on the page, I've seen a lot of guys talking about setting coyote snares or setting leg holes. Yeah, and going in and setting hard for a week before I'm out, and you know I've done. Coyotes is what's made my name. And you're not, I know I'm probably going to get a lot of grief over this, but you're not going to catch all the coyotes in a week's time. Oh, no, never. <laughs> you know, it's it's not, it takes me at least a 30-day round. <laughs> yeah, my, my second and my third week on the line are the hottest weeks, always. Okay, wait, what are you saying about catching what? I'm missing the word. Coyotes. Oh, coyotes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we, we don't get much call for that around here. You're 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 uh, you're lucky that you got that too. Oh Lord, we we are overrun with them here. We've got the big eastern coyote, and down here in central Kentucky, where they're feeding on these horse farms. Yep. Our average weight is forty to forty-five pounds. Yep, that's what we are too. Yep. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're big, beautiful animals. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love catching them. And we, we're we still allowed to use uh, locking snares here in the state of Kentucky, which makes work so much easier, you know. Uh, right, you I, you got a, you got a dead dog when you get there. No, actually, not, not a... Not, not all, all the time. <laughs> doesn't kill them? Uh, no, uh, I use a slim lock on my snares. Okay. And the reason they, a lot of people hire me is I can, these are open pastures. I'm in a lot of them. And what fence that are there is plank fence, you know, a horse farm. And I can snare these areas. And they don't want, a lot of horse farms don't want the red fox caught. They like the red fox. So I have to set my loop a little bigger so the reds will pass through. So believe it or not, most of my dogs are caught around the hips. Hmm. So I bet you that 75% of the dogs I catch are caught around the hips. Hmm. And, uh, but the cable holds up, they don't bust them very often? No, 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 no. I use three thirty seconds, uh, seven by seven, and with the slim lock, no, i I might get a chew out once in every two or three years. Very rare. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. Have Have you ever heard of a fellow named Mark Zagger here in New York? No, I have not. Well, um, he's he he's a he's a very sharp guy, and um, I think his regular job, you know, he's pretty much a suit and tie guy. But that all goes when it comes to coyote season, right? And and he starts trapping coyotes here in New York State. And I, I know of people 
in New York that have caught like 50 in a season, which is a real respectable number for New York. Really? Well, Mark Zager in New York State, he's right in Syracuse, right in the middle of the state. Um, a few years ago, in a three-week three span, caught 183 coyotes. That's a good run for any man. Uh, he catches, he's, he's unbelievable. And what, what he has incorporated into his coyote trapping is a dog. He brings that dog with him, and the dog will find where those coyotes are marking that you and I would never find because he, 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 he finds it with his nose, not his eyes. And that dog will go over there, and he'll set up. And also the dog, I think, is interacting because the dog will mark over the coyote. And and that of course gets the coyotes going more, and and he will flat out bang them. He's catching ten fifteen a day, and in three weeks he's done. Yeah, I, I've I've used a dog in my past. Have you? Yes, I got a little mountain cur that will travel with me sometimes when I know I'm using strictly lake hole traps. Right. But but my problem is in the industry that I'm in, the horse industry, and we're trapping coyotes. I yep. can Oh, them a number three modified topped out six swivels on it, and all they see is a bear trap. Right, right. I know. Yeah, you're much better off to use your snares. Yeah, and I show them a snare and say, you know, if I catch a dog, if I catch a domestic dog, nine out of ten coats I'll catch alive. Nine out of ten domestics I'll kill every time in a snare. <laughs> They freak out. They'll jump. If they're fence snares, they'll jump the fence, hang themselves, do something like that. And but they don't care. They they like to look at the snare better than they do the leg hole trap. Huh? Yeah. Hey Anthony, let's talk. Uh, get back on the beaver subject there. Talk about your beaver snares. Um, what they're made of, what type of lock you use, that sort of thing. You know, it's the same box. Uh, my coyote snares are my beaver snares. I use a swim lock. Uh, I make a five-foot snare out of 332nd aircraft cable, seven-by-seven seven twist with a good swivel on the end. Uh, when, I, I, when I'm setting up my snares for beaver, I like to take a good green log. If I'm setting snares in the water, I run it parallel to the bank the way they're traveling. And I'll tie a snare on each end of the log, and I'll put a little caster in the center of the log, and on the bank in the center, tied off. As they as they filter in on each side of the log, log parallel to the bank, I'll catch them that way. I use a lot of snares on slides, and y'all talking about casters, and not a lot of oil sacks. Uh, here when I'm doing nuisance, I summer beaver I use a whole lot of oil sack, just strictly oil sack on them slides, and it seems to outperform the caster during uh, mid to late summer runs. So. Uh, any comments on just using oil sacks? Nope, I use them myself. Uh, usually I mix it, just like Jim, I mix it in with my caster that I grind. Right. Uh, I mean, I use the whole oil sack. I don't use just the oil. Right. 
I, like I said, I, I've used just the oil, and what I'll do is I'll put just a drop of it on a leaf, and I'll rub it down the slide and set my snare. For some reason, them beaver, they're attracted to it. They come right into it, and there's a good 60% better catch ratio on just pure oil sack with snares than they are if I put castor above the snare. During, I said during mid to late summer. Um, I haven't. I, I mean, there's times I've heard the stories about, you know, guys using oil sack, and I've got ground, you know, I've got oil sack with me, um, but I just haven't used it because, I mean, where I am here, if I put a little bit of caster on the bank anywhere, um, I'm going to have a beaver. He comes, they come right into that caster so fast. Um, what I've heard, though, that if you get a beaver especially that's wised up to caster at all, right. that if you put out just a little dab of that oil sack, that, um, see, basically the oil sack is just the smell of the beaver itself. It's not a beaver exactly. that's marking over. That's just the smell of the beaver. So I'm sure that that disarms him. He just knows another beaver's been there, and now right. he wants to check it out. And I'll catch a lot of young beaver on that oil sack as well. Instead of using, mm-hmm. yeah, instead of using the casker. Talk about go. Let's go back to Paul Grimshaw. Did you ever, Jim? Did you ever buy any of that aspen bait that he made? When you uh, now, what what was the name of the bait? I don't remember the name. It it was it was strictly aspen. But when you opened the jar, it smelled just like Pepto Bismol. Hmm. I never, I never did. I've got. Wait a minute. Actually, I'm sitting out in the first year because my boys just got home. I don't see a jar of it, but that um, was phenomenal. There's stuff you can buy that's popular butt oil. Right. That's that's probably. I mean, I'm saying probably that could be what it was. Popular this, butt oil. Yeah. This was well. No, this was a dry, crumbling substance. And you'd have to wet it with a little water to make it stick. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I'd, I'd say uh, for years, I mean, all I did was run around, look for, uh, you know, front doors to beaver houses or, you know, good channels and just drop a conveyor. And then I went to Castor and really had such good luck in our area with the Castor that I hadn't had to use much else. If I get one that's smartened up to it, I will just go grab a little... Uh, you know, a little poplar branch and, put, you know, put it along the bank and the beaver will come right into that quick. I agree. And I bought some lure from uh, Catch Brothers called Mud River. Mm-hmm. And it's got castor in it, but Kaylin uh, won't tell me what else, <laughs> what else is in it, but it's a change-up for trap-shy beaver mm-hmm. as well as what I use it for, but it's also very good on otter. And I've actually used it on coyotes, and it's worked very well. Hmm. So, but well, I've, I've kind I kind of used quite a bit of different uh, food lures and baits as well. I mean, everything from Dobbins to a Bob Wilson stuff to a, a upcoming bait maker, uh, Jeff Dunlop. Uh, mm-hmm. He has some stuff out. It's called Big Pile. I tested that out for him. Uh, mm-hmm. It works really well. And it's basically a caster-based uh, lure itself, you know. 
But I, I do, a, just like Anthony says, I, I do a lot of different stuff for change-up, you know. You get those ones when you're down to your onesie twosies left in the pond or whatever, and, you know, you, you say you use Dobbins wood chipper or even, like you mentioned, about the popple uh, branches, you know. Um, I've, I guess I try everything I can uh, when all else fails, you know, go to the next one. A lot of my beaver, when I go into these areas, they've never seen a human. Mm-hmm. You know, I some of the areas that I trapped, we'll be sitting ponds, and I've got elk bugling at us. Mm. You know, so you know we're in some very remote areas when we trap beaver. They have not been harassed, and that makes your job a lot easier. Yeah. You know. So. If I got a, a, a last beaver to get, usually I'll go to a small dam break set, you know? Yes, I love them. I'll, um, I'll use a foothold and, you know, just set for a hind foot catch and let him come in. I'll, I'll put a few sticks in his face so they're, uh, he's got to, you know, drop his feet and he starts moving those around and, it, you know, put it on a slide wire or whatever, and it works quite well. The other thing is I do with the cages. I've had times where I'll set a cage out and the beaver will not go through that cage. I'll put conibears out too, will not go through the conibears. And then I'll take that cage and go over on the dam, turn it upside down, leave one door closed, one door open. Uh, the upper door that's out in, in the air, it's up, you know, at laying on the dam. That's closed. The one that's open is upside down, and it's just under the water level. Uh, if I don't want anybody to find it, I'll put a little robe fabric over the whole thing and then cover it with mud and sticks. You can't even see the trap. And then reach up through underneath the trap, grab just a small plug of mud, pull it out, and get it trickling. Uh, put a stick or something there so it makes noise. And sometimes if you've got a smart beaver like that, he may not hit that trap first night or second night, but what happens is you have a a unique set because now the beaver cannot maintain the water level of his pond or raise it until he plugs that hole, and the only way he can plug that hole is going inside the trap. And I've done very well with that uh, dam break set with the cage traps. I've done that with snares and conibears both, and if they if they refuse the conibears, then after about three days, I'll put in the snares do the same. Jim, I, like I said, I grabbed hold a couple of your coon traps just last week. Matter of fact, and checking them out, love them, love them. Oh, what, thank you. What 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 is your beaver traps like? Because if even the coon traps, they're you know pretty heavy. Uh, the the coon traps have about 11 pounds of pressure on the doors. The beaver traps have about 20. Okay. okay. So um, it'll work up. What, what's kind of weird or say neat, when you start out to build something, I mean, I had the concept of the uh, swim through beaver trap for years, you know, with a recess trigger back in the middle and all that. Right. But when you build it, it's only afterwards that you realize, oh, wow. I can set this thing on land. I can set this thing sideways. I can set it upside down. There's no wrong way to set the trap. And yeah, I love your I trigger. Got, thanks. The, the trigger, uh, of course, 
it is it has the similarity to a conibear in that Mark. it has a wire trigger, but it's its own trigger that was developed for the trap itself. Because I started out using conibear triggers, but mm, it was like okay, but the stability factor wasn't there. What right. what what people tell me, and I, I have the same thing happen. I'm setting a, a trap for a woodchuck or a skunk. I'll go to reach for something. I'll hit. I set the trap first, and I go to reach for something. I'll hit it with my elbow, and it'll roll over a couple of times, and it won't fire. And yet, it's it's light enough where uh, you know a little a little uh, you know pint sized rabbit or a baby woodchuck will go through and fire just fine. So um, we've got. Two sizes actually that we can use for beaver, uh, a 12 by 12, and that was in response to the fact that everybody else had 12 by 12 traps and we didn't. We had the 9 by 11s, and I thought, well, I just better offer a larger trap for raccoons, and then realize, well, might as well make it for beaver too. And um, I've caught beaver up to 61 pounds in the 12 by 12, which kind of surprised me. He filled the whole trap right up; his tail was sticking out a little bit. But um, and then I made some in-between ones. I don't know if you've heard of Mike Matney, the guy who has the floating muskrat trap. Yes. Yep. He's out in Washington State, and uh, I had told somebody in Washington, I said, "Yeah, I'm going to build an in-between size trap just for the fun of it, and I'm going to shorten it way down to 33 inches." So the first traps we built were 40. The the production traps now are 39. I had some 36, and I was going to go to 34, and I said, "Well." I'm going to go way down. So I built some actually 32 and 33 inches long, and I'm still catching 50-pound beaver in traps even that short. Really? See, we've lost, here in central Kentucky, we've lost all our rats. Oh, no. Yeah, we we have. Back when, like I said, I come from the fur trade era, it wasn't us and go in and plug in a bunch of 110s and come out 50 rats a day. That's, you know, that used to be easy. You're lucky in central Kentucky, right around here today, if you can catch 50 rats in a season, you're doing an awesome job. We uh, do you think birds of prey or something are getting them? No. Uh, here in central Kentucky, most of the farms has cleaned the banks. We have no cattails, no willow growing around the pond. Uh, no clean, feeding. No feeding. And they plant fescue grass. Mm-hmm. And the fescue grass has just killed our rats and our rabbits. We have no right. rabbits. You know, right. what, I, what I've read on them is it messes up. It won't kill them, but it messes up the reproductive system real bad. Oh. That's so, so bad. Yeah, because it's, it's, we'll go to a pond, people call say, we've got rats. Mm-hmm. And... We'll go out there and we'll catch one or two in a ten acre lake, mm-hmm. and there's just nothing there no more. Even in our little marshy areas that we have, that we used to just run and plug one tens with some cane in and catch uh-huh. slew rats, they're not there no more. They're gone. Wow. Hmm. So there's That's no big pockets of them. That's too bad. Now you get up in the mountains, and you was talking about the you was talking about the dam breach set. And I love that, that in the deep mine areas, the coal mines that goes underground, mm-hmm. a lot of their ponds where they pump the water out, these ponds, they may be yards long, maybe 25 yards wide, and they're almost a big rectangle. 
and they put a catch, what they call a catch skirt. They'll run a big heavy piece of cable from one side of the pond to the other in two or three places, and they have some kind of fabric that hangs all the way down to the bottom that supposedly catches any of the chemicals or anything that they pump into the water. And them things are, I love going in their ponds because on each side of them skirts, there's always that 12 to 14 inch gap on each side of that skirt. And setting them up with kind of bears, it makes your, I won't even set a leg hole in a pond like that. I go through and set each side of them skirts and I will kill every beaver in that pond in no time flat. Or they trap on each side of them skirts. Uh huh. So, you know, there's a lot of good sets out there for beavers. And like I said, I love to see the cages work, but I, honestly, Kim, I don't think I could haul one of them things back in the mountain. Well, it depends. I guess everybody's situation is different. It depends on how far you're walking or whatever. Um, uh, the 12 by 12. Um, you know, if you've got nice tight runs, they'll work fine. And right. I think I think they weigh about 17 pounds. Right. The, the heaviest one weighs about 22. So they're they're not you know heavyweight. What I do with them, like I went back in the spot this afternoon, I'll put one on a they're just you know one of those uh, jet sleds you know just a plastic tub, right. and I can I can drop one dependent I could drop either one or two in the sled. And then I can put one, I take uh, bungee cords and I put big snaps on it and I put one on my back and carry it like a, just like a pack. So, you know, uh, 20 pounds isn't bad to carry. And then if I drag two, you know, it's not too bad. And actually, I had a place a couple of years ago that uh, it was this time of year and uh, the guy had the beaver, they were up on a mountain. And I thought, well... I mean, I could carry in my conibears. I walked in one time and looked it over, and just uh, just the way it looked and everything, it was going to be not easy to set. It was just one of those spots. It was just nothing. It was a gimme. And I went in with, I took in, um, I think I took in three or four cages one day, and then I, I took in three one day and three the next day, and I had all the beaver. I think there were six of them, and I had them in two nights. So even in that case, I was very glad to put them in because I needed to do so little once I put them in the water. You know, right. you don't have to do a lot of fencing and narrowing and crazy stuff. You just drop the damn thing in and the beaver swims through it. And um, how do you think it was back in? I was glad I did it. I mean, I've seen, uh, there's a girl on my page, uh, Mousy Ware, I think is her name, where she goes oh, by. Yeah. Yeah, and I think she uses your traps for trapping beaver. Yep, she's. I know she's got one. Yeah, and she she's floating these out there. What draw? Do you just use capture inside them traps that draws them into that trap, or are you using a food base? Uh, what are you doing? Well, you, usually, when I use caster, all that I do with it is. Uh, I go around the edge of the pond and I try to find a natural spot where it's just a little bit narrowed up, nothing special, but just kind of narrowed. Right. And then I'll put uh, two of them side by side. So if I find a spot that's about, uh, you know, four or five feet wide, I drop in two traps side by side and put them in 
a little deeper than a foot of water. And then if I can float a, you know, a dead man over, what's great with a cage trap is it's, it's so rugged, you can put a, a, you know, a 50 or an 80-pound log on, on top of it, and it'll support it. And now you've got your dead man, you know, um, covering it. I might narrow it up with a little brush sticking up in the air on each side. And then um, I put a little caster up on the bank, and the caster, usually I don't set it right close to it. I put it back 5, 10, 15, 20 feet, uh, you know, it'll be like a V or a slot, and then just let the beaver plow in there, and he might come in and go, like I said earlier, he might he might come in and go around it, and I'm gonna, if, if he does, I'm going to catch him coming back. Talk. I have I got spots now. Like I say, if I get a call, I won't leave the house here a lot of times till you know half hour before dark. I get there right at dark, as fast as I can set the trap and drop it on the bottom. That's it's in. I put a little bit of brush or a, a dead man, and then uh, throw a gob of caster on the bank and back of it. I'm done, and I'll come back in the morning. I got both beaver side by side. That's one thing that's nice about that. It's, it's to set snare side by side. You know, it's it's going to get boogered up um, when you catch his, when you catch one beaver. The other one's getting knocked down. Same thing with the conibear. Oh, unless wow. the, unless the conibears are staked really hard, you got good hard clay or something, and you catch one beaver and he's nailed right down. Yeah, it'll be okay. But if, if he pops the stake, he's going to spring the other trap. And um, I've, I've had places. Uh, what was the culvert? It's an eight foot wide culvert. I put three of them, covered the whole culvert. Rather than spend time fencing, I might as well fill it with a trap. And um, I'd already caught this one location. I think I'd already caught five. And uh, I put three in a row, and I two, the next two mornings, I had, you know, two in the left trap one day and two in the right trap the other day, and I was done. I've looked at the Hancock traps before thinking, you know, eventually that would be residential work. And they'll think scare me. I'll tell you what. They scare me worse than a conibear does as far as, like, if you got kids playing around banks or whatever, you know. It says, it says, do not set the disclaimers that go with that trap. says, do not set that trap around children or pets and always wear a football helmet when setting. Exactly. I know. <laughs> and, and and even my Bailey, my Bailey went off and, and hit me right between the eyes a couple of years ago and, and split my face down pretty good. And uh, at least that trap stops at halfway. The the, the uh, Hancock keeps coming, right. and and those those springs are big enough to pick up a fifty pound beaver and throw him into the basket. So you know if that thing hits you in the head, it's going to smart. I've heard some stories about guys getting hit with uh, the Hancock and uh, you know the corals, the same type of thing, and and uh, ripping their scalp where the, it fell down over their eyes. Oh Lord! I've, I've heard some. Terrible stories where thumbs got ripped off and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and I don't. I, I'm real respectful of it, and I I don't use it that much. I used it once last year. I had a beaver. Um, there was two beaver in a pond. I went and set the cages, and the first night I got one beaver, and I'm thinking, why don't I have two? And then there uh, definitely was another one there, and he didn't want any part of the cage. So I said, well, that's okay. So I just put in the... Uh, the Hancock and just, you know, put a dam break and let it trickle through it. And I had him next May, but, um, I made sure I set it late in the day and I'm there early in the morning, you know? Right. Right. I just, I don't want to leave that there very long. And, you know, if, 
if if you do it right, it's thing. Of course, the stuff works for you too. Um, you know, you can be done with it in the night. But uh, now, nah, uh, uh, both the Hancocks and the Bailey's, they got pretty powerful springs on them. They do, and they they seem to they seem way too dangerous. Yeah. Um, well, that that spring you look at, it's about like a garage door spring as far as the size of it. You know, it's yeah. it's a monster. And in area, you know, in areas like the, with the leg holds, I don't worry about the public too much because a lot of my beaver leg holds, I'll set, I've set beaver leg holds, you know, 14 inches deep, 14 to 18 inches deep. Okay. And, and so, you know, they can't see them. They're not there. I know where they're at. I don't mark them well. You know, I look at the areas. I know where my traps are. So even around public, I'll go with a lot of leg holds. And like I was saying earlier, with the 330s, if I'm in public, I'll sink them in deep channels. Right. You know, they would have to go out and pull stakes and pull it completely up out of They would have to have a boat to get to a lot of my 330s. F, they're not going to wait out there and find them. No, no. So, you know, but we... Well, it's it's the the cage traps. Uh, I guess say for for my situation, you know, if if you rode around with me for a day, you'd say, "Geez, I can see why you use them here." Because, oh, I yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not far from the roads. I mean, I I might be fifty or a hundred yards back is all, and so to drop them in and and be done with it so fast, it's uh, it's it's just it's worked out very well for us here. How about theft on your end? Have you had many of them stolen? Nope. Good day. And that's that's the other thing. Um, I sat late in the day. I check. You know, uh, I don't always get there first thing in the morning. I should, but um, when you set them, there's no staking. <laughs> there's no wiring. There's you can blend that trap in so well uh, with a bunch of just throw a handful. Of, you know, brush and everything. Cuts the brush and. And throw it over the top, the whole thing just disappears. And you can you can stuff them down a culvert. You know, one guy said, "Geez, you ought to build a smaller one so it would fit down a three foot culvert." I said, "Well, the the eighteen incher fits down a two foot culvert. <laughs> it's it, it, it's it's only twenty one inches on the diagonal, and um, you can take that eighteen by twelve inch trap and push it right down a two a two foot culvert. You don't even know it's there. The twelve by twelve will fit in an eighteen inch culvert." So are the beaver hard on the wire on that trap? Because I know no. you go heavy duty. Your framework's awesome on them traps. Thanks. But you know, uh, what gauge? What what gauge wire are you using? Are you using like a ten gauge? It's a twelve. A twelve gauge. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we know we all know how powerful a beaver is. You know. Right. They, they don't chew on the wire too much. No. No, they don't chew on it at all. Well. Um, and, and the thing was, the, the first guy who I, I really uh, got the traps to that really put them to the test was Randy Volk in Massachusetts. Right. So um, he, uh, Bob Noonan had written an article about Randy catching Fisher over there. So I just gave him a call just to see what, because Massachusetts, you can only use cages anyway. So I said, well, Randy, we got a trap here that we're using for cool. And I said, geez, I, I think, it, you know, if you ever need a replacement trap, you ought to try a few. He said, yeah, maybe I'll try a couple. And then one day he called up, he says, give me 10 of those. 
So we sent him 10. He said uh, they performed flawlessly. He caught 33 coon, four foxes, and nine fisher. So the next year he ordered uh, 10 more and a couple of the, double, the small double doors. And then I asked him, I said, do you ever trap beaver? And he goes, of course I do. I said, well, what do you do? He says, I, I do it under permit with conibears. I said, well, if you do it under permit with conibears, you've got uh, a limitation of, what, 10 days, two weeks? He goes, yeah. I said, now, when you get that permit, that's for a designated area, correct? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, now, if there's beaver that are, I said, well, how many you catch? He goes, I get a couple hundred in conibears under the permits. I said, well, there must be more beaver around. He goes, are you kidding me? He says, we're inundated with beaver. There's beaver everywhere. I said, well, don't you have places you'd like to set? He goes, of course I do. But he says, I can't get a permit and use it with a conibear. And he says, I'm not going in with a Hancock. I said, well, why don't you just try a couple of these cages? You know, try one, see if you like it. So he took two, and he says, well, I know there's a bunch of otter. Well, in the first two weeks, he caught, uh, I think he got 16 otter. And he, he even got a double. And so um, he called right back, and he said, send me three more. Then the next week, he caught four more otter, 23 beaver, two ducks, uh, uh, six-pound landlocked salmon, and an eight-pound rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and, uh, so anyway, I mean, he was happy as a clam. So he said, send me three more. Then he had eight traps. He told me for that winter, all he set was usually five or six of them. He rotated them around. He said, I only set one at a location because these beaver – have not been trapped, he said, in 16 years. So they're huge. And he said, I don't want to, I can't carry out two. And he said, there a lot of them are 50, 60. He said, some are even 70 or close to 80 pounds. So he trapped them for five and a half months. And he ran five or six cages a day. And I asked him, do you ever cover them or you do anything? He goes, only if I think somebody's going to steal it. So he would put it on the crossovers of the dam. He had a winter that was so mild, never rained. I mean, never snowed hardly at all. It, it didn't freeze. If it did, only for a night or two, a little skim ice, kept open. And he trapped for the whole five and a half months and caught over 400 beaver, basically using six cages. And what he did was he would leave at 8 o'clock in the morning, he had places he walked back in, and he'd walk one trap in at each location, and he would have a beaver in, in virtually every trap every day. And there was one location that he said that um, I think he caught something like 90 beaver. He said the the caster mounds were bigger than muskrat houses. I run in on I run in on a job. What well, was a job? We was trapping fur. I was only I think I was 21 at the time and was working for a gentleman named Pat Green that was a professional trapper here in Central Kentucky. And we got off of some sloughs off the Ohio River. And we, oh, went, up, boy. we went up in there, and we uh, we had number fives, and we went up in there, and we took 100 leg holds, and we took 53.30s. And Oof. the first day out, we got 40 leg holds out, never set a 3.30. We got on, the, we was there for two weeks. We got on the water the next morning. We never set another leg hold the whole time we was there. We was averaging an 80 to 90% catch ratio every single day. When we left out of there in that period, trapping fire, I never got so tired of skinning beaver in all my life. 
Well, how could you keep up with the skinning? You had to just skin them and freeze them, I imagine. Yes, we did. We skinned them. It was a cold winter. That water was staying open. And we were skinning them and icing them and hauling them in. And we, the back then, we was getting, i say we was getting $25, $30 selling them green. Oh, boy. Can't beat that. No, we wasn't even putting them up. I mean, we was hot. we couldn't. It was almost impossible. Oh, you couldn't do No, you can't trap all day and, and, and then put them all up. Oh, no. I mean, we wasn't even clean skinning. I mean, anything we catch today, we clean skin. He taught me how to clean skin. When you got okay. that many paper, you ain't clean skinning. Yeah. You know, you're ripping them pelts and getting them to the buyers, let them worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I've, I've always wanted a nuisance job like that, and I've never been able to get in on one like that. Because most of my ponds, they'll have two to eight bee rounds. Right. Yeah, that's what we got. Yeah, yeah. 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 We'll move on to the next one. You know, but my big issue is is according on how far the ponds are between one another when I'm working. Yeah. You know, I charge I charge a lot of money to go into Eastern Kentucky, um, quite a bit. And like I said, some weeks I might catch six beavers, some weeks I might catch twenty five. You know, yeah. but it's just it's my my big problem is is travel time getting yep. to the pond and getting equipment to the ponds. We have three ponds that I do about every year that we've got to take the winch on the front of the truck and put traps in buckets and drop them 125 feet over a cliff and then drive the truck two miles and come up a draw, hike up a draw to get to the ponds and to the traps to settle. Oh. It's, yeah, you know, I charge a lot of money too. <laughs> oh man, I just say I think those beaver are gonna die old age. <laughs> <laughs> we got a type in. We got a type in question here. I don't care who answers it. Um, they're basically talking about breaking dams. Uh, they want to know if it's uh, fiction or truth about uh, breaking the dam. Just basically uh, makes drives the beaver crazy. Is that why you break the dam, or is there other reasons? Well, like Jim said earlier, the, the water they got to keep their water fluctuation they like and control, so they're going to go patch that breach in that dam. And I don't know how Jim does it, but I, I'll breach one end or the other, and sometimes both ends, and place a snare or a conibear there. And, yeah, it'll drive them crazy. The next day, your beaver are caught. When you break the dam. Now, I, I don't know how true this is, but my dad always told me that they just can't stand the sound of the running water either. Because I remember going with him on his sets, and he would actually have had a tape recorder out there with running water, and they've buried it. <laughs> you know, I had heard about people doing that, and I'm thinking, what what an ingenious thing to do. Put that tape recorder in there, and, and then have the tape recorder just piled with mud. We, we somewhere we have the pictures. We've we, I've seen it a hundred times, and he, he's actually used it to bring them in instead of cast or something. They'd come over to the damn tape recorder. The, I, I think, especially if you're on a pond where you don't have uh, you know any kind of inlet and outlet, it's kind of a dead water pond. I think that'd be the best thing that you could ever do. Just put that, 
that little yeah. recording, that trickling, and and you'd have Beaver just just not, you know, knocking each other down, trying to get to it. Quit talking about it. This might be something one of us could sell to Fox Pro. Put a little water recording. Yeah, sell that with the Fox Pro. We'd make a little extra money. <laughs> they also no. would like to know, um, because of the 330 triggers, uh, usually only last maybe two years at best, and then they're, if you go to move them or bend them back because of the beaver, um, Bentham, they want to know about Jim's cage trap. Um, what is the gauge that you're using for the wire for the triggers? When I first started making them, I purposely used regular 14-gauge soft trap wire, stuff that everybody has in their pack basket, you know? Sure. And And so if you put those wires on there, obviously they're going to rust. They're not good forever. But now Randy, the first year he he caught the 400 beaver, he said he only had one wire break all winter long. Now, there's there's two different things involved. There's live beaver and dead beaver. If you set the trap underwater and that beaver drowns, he's not going to really do anything to the wires to amount to anything. If you set set the thing so that that beaver's alive, say you put it in nine inches of water, the beaver swims in it, now, if he's alive in there, he's swimming around, swimming around, he can work those wires and, and do, uh, you know, just crinkle them up more. Usually, you can just straighten them right back out again. And the thing is, too, they don't have to be tight, and they don't have to be perfectly symmetrical. All they got to do is be in the middle. And so, um, I've made them with 14-gauge. I've drilled the holes a little bigger. I put 12-gauge in some. Uh, I've actually, I think right now what we're using is actual spring steel. So these, this is steel that would be used to actually wind springs with, and we're cutting off pieces and using that. And it's, it's a real tough, durable wire, but um, like anything, it can, you know, it can wear out if you have, uh, let's say, the live beaver. The other thing I've done... Um, I've gone to the welding supply places and got stainless steel uh, welding rod. And it's, I mean, it's not cheap, but it's not any more expensive than the spring steel. And you can get like a couple wires out of each one. So it comes in a three-foot length, and then you can cut the piece, you know, if you needed 16 or 18 inches or 14, whatever. And so I've been outfitting them with that too. And, of course, the uh, the stainless isn't going to rust at all, so it's just, um, I've only been using it uh, last year or two here, so and I haven't really paid much attention, but um, I th- I think it's going to be uh, pretty good. What What's good too about this is the way the beaver trap is set up, and all our traps are, that you can take wire and uh, wire cutters. If you just got a pair of nippers, you can nip out broken wire or whatever, pull it out, and then just take a piece of like I say, standard 14-gauge wire and stick it through and and you're good to go. You don't need any kind of wrenches or stuff, uh, tools, any special tools other than a, a pair of nippers. And what's good about that is, um, and it, with conibears and a lot of that, if you're, um, uh, you have to use stainless 
straight through if you don't, you know, stuff rusts up. And then if you go to get it out, even if you do it, busts on you. So um, this is what's good. You just don't need the tools. You can use anything. Yeah, I've used welding rod um, myself, not the stainless, just uh, like a 70, 18, uh, eighth inch. And I just, when my, my triggers, the original triggers would break, I would just drill a rivet out, pull that housing that holds that, style of um, 330 trigger in there and I would just yep. make new make new and those actually will last three to four years compared to I don't know if you want to call them a manufactured style trigger um, right but I don't get I don't normally get much than two years uh, out of a, a brand new but I'm running uh, I run both Duke uh, because I'm cheap, <laughs> they work. <laughs> and I also run um, Victor uh, okay. 330s. So um, yeah. I always tell everybody as far as, uh, you know, use what works for you or what you can afford, but don't use something that is inadequate. No. So, um, I guess I've always just been kind of an equipment nut. And, and and that doesn't mean that I had to buy a sterling trap. You know, I didn't have to buy the top of the line. But, um, you know, I did well with, like I say, for footholds with the Northwoods and Bridgers. I just I just wanted to have something, though, that, uh, you know, was reliable, didn't do foot damage, and uh, and held. But um, the, the, the Belial Conibers, though, oh, man. See, that's another thing, too. Now, when you buy a Duke or you buy a Bridger, um, they're basically uh, an in-between trap. They're, they're a nine-inch jaw spread. They're, right. not, they're not a full 330 size 10-inch. Mm-hmm. So it's, and, and not that that's the end of the world either because I've had seasons in Virginia where all I used was 280s. Back uh, in 87 and, and, let's see, 86 and 87, I trapped in Virginia for beaver and, uh, let's see, I think one year I caught, uh, 105 and the next year, maybe I caught 70 something, 78. And I used nothing but two eighties. They were nice and light and small. And I'd put the trigger over to the side a little bit and give them a little room. And I think every once in a while they plowed them over, knocked them down and stuff. But even the 280 at, at eight inch did very well for beaver. And I know guys that, you know, even use them with caster mounts too. You know, yeah, partly. They still, the two they still use them here. Most of, you, most of your beaver, you're catching around the head anyway. Yeah. And that's all they have to commit to. You know, oh, I, yeah. you know, most of my beaver kind of bears are 330s, and I'm a yeah. modified nut, you know, on a lot of things. And, uh, but I like, you know, Jim, just like your, with your cages, you know, the manufacturers today, there's a few out there that literally you don't have to do much work to. If you're willing to spend a dollar, you know, you, a lot of traps like them PS 85s and leg holes, they're ready out of the box. Oh, that's right. great. Yeah. You know, I I spray paint them TS 80s. I spray paint all my leg holes for beaver. Yeah. Oh, I don't wax nothing. And them PS 85s, they come in, pan tension, the everything. It's they're ready to go. Literally, get them out of the box. Get get your grease off of them. Spray paint them. Hit the water whistle. All you're like trying to do, you, you're just trying, you're trying to make me feel bad because we can't use them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. You know, yeah. we're breaking our laws around here, and I'm so grateful for that in the state of Kentucky. But 
Yeah, the TAS-85s, man, as far as lake hose go, they're part, I'd rate them up there with Sterling, and I've got several number threes. I love the Sterling traps. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. You know, but uh, I'll rate them up there with the Sterling all day long. They're the well, well. Yeah. Do you want Do you want to talk about the Bailey's trap for a minute or two? We well, we're at a hour and almost forty five minutes. <laughs> Honestly, I have been sitting here taking notes. These guys are great. Um, yeah. My use of the Bailey is so minimal that I'm not really sure I can really add much to about it. Well, just, just kind of describe it. Describe it a little bit. Uh, tell us how you set it. Uh, if you use any bait, lure. <laughs> <laughs> we mainly only really use them in streams. That's about the only action because we have a lot of uh, strip pits around here mainly where we're just looking on the steep cliffs and maybe the little stream joining the ponds together, and we only really offer them up for live trapping that customers want to pay up for. We just set them right in the streams that they're traveling, and they just poof, got them. You don't you know, have to beat them. Last, like I had last year, I had a beaver that wanted nothing to do with cages, he wouldn't go anywhere near uh, a conibear, and and snares wouldn't wouldn't go anywhere near them either. So confusing the snares. Well, I, 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 I I've never had beaver, and like I said, I'm in areas I guess where there's no public. I've never had refusals on snares on beaver. I have well, places where I should have taken pictures, and and I don't know exactly all of the reasons for it, whatever, but um, maybe, I don't know, did they smell? I usually wear my rubber gloves or whatever, but maybe I'm not careful enough with them. Did he smell a little bit of human scent on that, or was he location shy? I caught another beaver there, or was he shy because it was a tight location? Because, you know, when when you set a snare, you narrow it down, and maybe he just didn't want to go tight. But I've had places where I could see the tracks where the beaver would walk, come out of the water 25 feet ahead of the snare, walk 50 feet up on the bank, and come down 25 feet on the other side. Man, <laughs> he saw something or smelled something. <laughs> and, and so what I would do, what I did for that particular beaver was I, I bottom edged him in a snare. I made it make uh, a nine-inch loop, and I, I set the corner, and uh, the next day he was sitting up on the bank a little bit perplexed. But um, where I had that in a narrow channel, and it set half in and half out of the water just like you would normally, and that sucker went around me, and I said, you want to play this game, we'll stick one on the bottom and see how you like that big guy. <laughs> and, and the next day, like I say, he's up on the bank looking at me, and he's kind of kind of irate. Um I've had beaver go around snares um, a number of times, and like I say, I don't know, did he smell me or or was it tight or whatever, but on the bottom, I've only had one, when I put him on the bottom or put him in a run, I've only had one avoid one one time like that. But the thing I did with the Bailey last year, um, this was one of those blackwater muck ponds, and what I took with the Bailey and I went – I first, I made a big kind of a, an opening in the dam, and I slid the bailey up in it, you know, and I was going to let the water leak over, and I thought, nah, that's no good. That's, that's not going to work. Because I took my bailey the first time I set it, and I did just that. I took uh, a clay dam, 
and clay you can manipulate. You know, it's almost like, uh, you know, you can mold it to what you want. So I pushed, it out. Like. I, pushed, I pushed it out and made this uh, opening that was just right for the bailey and dropped the bailey right in the middle of it. The next thing, that, the next day, that bailey had, had at least 80 pounds of mud in it. Yeah. I mean, it was packed. And I thought, you fool. And, and the, the way I ended up beating that beaver was I took a look at where he was coming and where he would have to go to, to patch that dam. I walked right out in the middle of the pond. It wasn't that deep. And, and I just dropped it in. All I did was line the two up. And next day I had him. And in this one, what I did was uh, if, the, if the trap, if the safety hadn't caught the wire, I'd have had him too. I basically put two breaks in the dam about 30 feet apart. And now when he patches one, he's got to go to the other. Well, there's places where there's a little bit of, uh, you know, brush and stuff that's growing up in the pond and kind of a natural narrowing thing. So I just set the bailey between the dam and the brush. And then with the two breaks, you know, he patches one, he's going to go to the other, and bingo. And I do that with footholds. I do that with the cages, and I've done it with snares, too. Basically make two breaks in the dam, and they can be, you know, 10, 15 feet apart, and uh, then just basically put a trap in between the two. So it just becomes a blind set. <clears throat> so you kind of make your own blind set. With it. it works real neat. Right, and that's what I do. But I usually set each. I usually break each corner of the dam instead of going out to anywhere in the center. I always like breaching both ends, both sides of the dam, right at the bank. And like I said, I'll use a log. I'll cut me a log and run a ten, twelve foot log out, and either use snares or conibears in that channel. And a lot of times, I'll have doubles every morning until the beaver are gone. Right. You know. I guess the one thing that I do like about the Bailey is the fact that you can completely hide it. I dropped this thing into the muck, so it was kind of sunk down in the muck. It it was black muck, and I had already painted the trap, like I say, spray painted like you do, uh-huh. and and spray painted it black, and it disappeared. I mean, here's a, this huge trap that's three feet wide by three feet wide, and it's gone. And I said, you sucker, when you come through, I'm going to have you. I say, if it hadn't hung up, I'd have had him. But um, the the concept and everything was there, and, and being uh, the fact that you can hide that thing, even as big as it is so well in the muck. And um, it, it in that circumstance, it was good. But I say, I, because I didn't look at the safety, I didn't, I, you know, like I could say, the same as you, I break mine out once or twice a year if I'm lucky, and and then you get rusty, and then you don't, you know, you're not thinking of things, and uh, and they got caught up. Um, like I said, I the bulk of it is of these traps is what worries me because of the areas I'm in, and yeah. having to pull so many of them. Oh yeah, yeah. No, well, it it sounds like the 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 number of traps that you're running. Holy cow! I mean, it's a big deal for me if I get out ten traps. I mean, <laughs> I'm not I'm not setting those kind of numbers. I I just think of the one time this was uh, I don't know maybe ten years ago, and and my jobs were kind of piling up, and I hadn't you know Judy kept saying, "No, don't you have jobs?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'll get to them." 
And that's when <laughs> the, I, I was using 660s, you know. And what I would do is use them half in and half out of the water with caster. And um, I built support racks for them. So, um, you know, a lot of times the guy will set a, 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 a 330 half in and half out of the water close to the bank. Well, I'll go out, you know, sometimes five or ten feet from the bank, and I'll set them in two or three feet of water, and it's uh, half in and half out. And, uh, and it's so big and wide, you don't have to do much narrow, and it's like the cage strap. And I remember going out one day, and I think I set um, I set 18 conibears. Um, I think most all of them were 660s. And the next day, I had 14 beer in a rat. So it's like, um, uh, you know, it's the, it's the same kind of thing, you know, just using the caster somewhere in front of that trap. Yeah, you know, we punch, like I said, we punch and go. I mean, fast. We, you know, I got yesterday, yesterday we put out the 125 cages. Right. And today, as I was running the cage line, I'm running 125 cages, and I've punched in over 100 conibirds. But, you know, know, we're running, like I said, but I've done it so long, it don't take me long to drop and go. No. You know. Yeah, and and I I think a lot of times, uh, and I'm probably guilty of it. Other people would be too. Spending too much time diddling around with a set, you know, dropping in and just get out. If you like fast set, no, I'll tell you what, the cage straps, um, they're they are the fastest thing that I've ever set. There's no wiring, there's no staking. Uh, all you do, you know, a lot of times there'll be two bushes. You know, uh, the beaver come in, they plug up uh, a crick. The water comes up into the brush. There's a hole in the brush. You drop the cage in, throw your caster on the bank, and you're gone. You're literally there about two minutes. Yeah, that's the kind of way I like to set a set. It's about two to three minutes, and I'm out the door, whether it's beaver, cow, yep. or what it is. Yep. Do they have any uh, bounty on your beaver uh, in the, say, like in Kentucky where you're trapping Anthony? Oh, or no, there's Virginia? no bounty. No, there's no bounty in Kentucky on nothing. You okay. know, uh, it's strictly customer base. Okay. You know, we've got a lot of residential guys. Uh, I'm more, I I guess I, I hate to say it, maybe I'm wrong, but I've never met them. But in the state of Kentucky, I'm the only large land management guy around. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, uh, that's a blessing as well. But, you know, I guess... In Wisconsin, they had a bounty there for quite a few years, and it was a $25 bounty. And in a lot of places in Wisconsin, the beaver are about eradicated. I went trap the beaver for $25. No, this this was uh, uh, they were. I think they were paying uh, fur trappers, you know, basically right. a bounty for bringing them in. Well, they was getting the they was getting the, the pelts as well. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not These both. guys were just—they'd be out there anyway, or they have a beaver in their backyard, and it's right by the house. So for twenty-five bucks, they can step out the door and catch it, you know, and turn in the tail and get to twenty-five bucks. Right. But, I mean, uh, they eradicated them. You know, I know there's some that charges more, and I know there's some that charges less. But if I'm doing beaver by the head without service cost, if I'm doing them by the head. One beaver's two hundred dollars plus. Two hundred. Yeah. I need to work for you. 
<laughs> but but like I said, I don't charge that when I travel to when I travel to the coal fields. Yeah. Uh, it's four thousand a week plus living cost. So so, so when you, you're getting a whole lot more than that for beaver. Oh yeah, they, I've, I've I've had a four thousand dollar beaver. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do you yeah. have to have permits to pull that, or does that fall under your? Um, I don't know if you want to call it jurisdiction or. It falls, under, it falls under my nuisance permit. Okay. See, like no. in Michigan, uh, it's kind of like what you guys were just talking about that we're getting where a lot of beaver are in areas are taken right out. And in other areas, uh, you know, we have to get a depredation permit through the DNR. Then they have to come and do their investigation. And sometimes they tell us to put wire on trees and won't let us trap. Uh, but if they give us a permit, then, um, you know, we're, we're allowed to trap, say, like 10 days, and we're only allowed to take two beaver. And, well, you know, you, you, you talk at them about, well, you know, I'm going to leave the other young beaver there, and the bottom line is, is they're still going to have the problem, you know. They make you all do that even on nuisance? Yeah. How do yeah. you stop them? Oh, That's terrible. Hey, I, I, I beg and plead with them uh, to let me trap them all out, and sometimes they'll let me, and other times they won't, you know. Oh, wow. I, I feel better then because um, in New York, the law, I've read the law, and the law says a permit may be issued to a landowner for a period of time, and he may designate anyone to trap the beaver by any method. Uh-huh. And so so what happens is um, now we've got, you know, the permits keep, uh, the, the complaints keep coming in steady. So the department doesn't fool with it. There's no inspection. There's no follow-up. If you call on Monday and want the permit, it's liable to be at your door on Tuesday, and that's the end of it. You just yeah. go wipe out those beaver at that location, and, and you're all set. Well, see, yeah, ours, we just go to the job site, wipe them out, the DNR don't find out about it till I turn in my yearly numbers. Same way here. <laughs> DNR just doesn't care. Just do it. Yeah, just do it. Now, I do call when, I, when I'm sitting out of season and out of my jurisdiction of central Kentucky. If I go to the mountains, I already know all the game wardens up there anyway where I've been up there so long. I'll give them a call and tell them I'm in the area. You know, that way right. the call does come in. Somebody's trapping. They out there running up down the mountains looking for somebody they know already know who it is. But mm-hmm. times a lot of them will show up because it's slow time of year. They hang out with me during the day, but they don't care. Yeah. Well, courtesy call I'll always pat you on the back down the road, anyways. Right, and a lot of them, a lot of them want to learn more about trapping, and they'll come out and hang out for two or three days just to get educated. You know. There's your hard tax money at work, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I educate them so they can bust me later, I guess. There you oh. go. You know. Well, that was like a couple of years ago um, when they changed the law here to where, now this is just fur trapping that I'm talking about, that um, they changed the law to where we can get two otter per person. And uh, so anyways, I, I being that I do nuisance control, that I I talked to the uh, DNR quite a bit, you know, and especially the one guy there, Bill, 
And uh, he asked me, I said, hey, Bill, I says, uh, when is the, the last uh, date that we can get our furs uh, registered? And he said, well, you're, if you got one now, he says, you're two days over. And it was like May 4th. And oh, so I was over. Well, he wanted to see that. Well, he, he hoodwinked me saying that um, he wanted to look at my fur because he had one guy that was doing nuisance control work, and he had felt that that guy's otter was, you know, caught doing nuisance control work and not during fur season. And anyways, he, he pulled, you know, I took my otter to him. He looked it all over, shook it, and he's kind of looking inside. And I said, do you actually know what you're looking for? <laughs> <laughs> But you know, I, and I didn't say that like to to discredit him or anything. But he just, I, I says, let me tell you what you're looking for. And so I told him, and he he just says, you must think I'm stupid. And I said, no. But anyways, uh, he, 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 he basically he basically did that to uh, you know to see if my otter was how dry it was to see if I actually did it in nuisance control work. But he also did have another guy that was doing the control work that caught one, and they, they confiscated that. He did let me uh, uh, get that one registered because we have to have ours registered here, just the otter. Right. we got to register yeah. ours. We're, we're allowed five. Uh-huh. No, we're allowed ten. They changed it. Yeah, we're allowed ten a year. Okay. So, you know, but when our season comes in, we come in early. Uh I don't start putting fire up probably two to three weeks after our season comes in. And I probably stop two or three weeks before our season's over with because, you know, we're warm here in Kentucky. We're a little south. And our food just turns bad. You know, as far as, like, illegal activity in Kentucky, it would take a pull to try to pull something off like that. Now, for, for me to sell fire, I can't sell it on my nuisance permit. I can take the fire from my nuisance animal. But I oh. still have to have a trapper's license to right. process and sell fire here. We're trying to get them to um, let us do that in Michigan. Right now, they're classifying that as they call it double dipping. You know, we're getting paid to to harvest the animal, and yet we want to use the fur. Well, we don't want it to go to waste. But as well, of right now, yeah, as of right now, we either have to bury it or leave it right where we trapped it. <clears throat> You're not double dipping because you ain't getting nothing out of your fire right now. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm just saying, um, you know, if like most of the time, any of my beaver uh, work, I try to save it till um, till first season. And I know that sounds kind of corny, but uh, you know, most of them, if they're not having a ton of damage, uh, but they, they, it's just bothering them that there's beaver in their pond or beaver in their creek or whatever that they right. want to pond. Are you putting them off till the first season and then charging them? No. No. Oh, I don't okay. charge them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. See, um, what... Hey, Roger. I, I, I charge for um, what I do at any time of year, whether the season's open or not. People ask me, is the season open? I'm going, I don't know. I get a permit so that I can do whatever I want to kill them, and then... Because of that, I say you are paying for the service of me guaranteeing you that I will remove all of the beaver and I won't stop until your problem solved. Because exactly, Jim. I totally 100% agree. What I do with the fire after I leave that place is secondary. 
there to solve problems. I, I've had people ask me, um, well, you get something for the fur. And I said, yes, I do. And I said, for that, I have to skin it, scrape it, stretch it, and market it. And for that, that's what I expect to get out of it uh, is my time for that. Now, I say, I'm charging you for the same price for the service year-round, and if you'd rather have the beaver, you just tell me where you want them, and I'll stack them up for you, and you, you're welcome to have that. It's getting straight yourself. Exactly. I agree and, with that. And, and then they go, well, oh, I don't want to skin them. And I'm saying, well, then do you mind if I do? Yeah. <laughs> and they say, no, go ahead. <laughs> well, the, well, the thing of our, our license is we're not allowed to utilize any part of any animal done in nuisance control work. And so something like that, I, I like to keep the beaver meat for making bait for a cat or coyote. And yeah. then I also keep the caster, the sacks, and then plus put the fur up. And then I sell my fur through NAFA. I keep I'll make you cry. I just throw mine in the trash. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> we can't do we're, we're like you guys up there. We can't do anything with them. We can't, we can't sell them. So I don't have time to screw with it for that little money anyway. So I just well, put them in the dump. Yeah, I know. But I, I, I Will knows that he's seen pictures. I put up, a lot, I put up all my winter fur, whether it's bringing nothing or not. I have a buyer. That pays me a little more this year. Well, last ten years, uh, I'm not raised the price on them or nothing. Like on my coats, they want the feet left on them. My buyer wants the feet left on them, and they don't even look at my fur. I skin it, put it up, I tie it in bundles, I take it to the buyer, I throw it in my buyer's trailer, I go in, I hand him a piece of paper. My coats this year. Was forty five dollars a head. My beaver was thirty, and he never looked at one piece of my fire. But he's mm. been buying off of me for twenty years. Yeah, Man, that's probably why he ain't looking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, when it, when it comes to um, putting them up, I I'll usually put up a few beaver just for the fun of it. Of course, now I'm into the cage building, so if I have any time, I go out and work on cages. But I will skin the beaver and freeze them. And then I've got a buyer that'll take. I mean, he's got some guys that do the scraping. So if I can skin a beaver in five, five, seven minutes, and I get you know ten, twelve, fifteen bucks out of it, it's not too bad. I get the caster in the oil sack, and um, so then I just you know when I call, I, I call him and I'll have a bunch of them here, and I'll say just come pick them up, and then he just loads them up and gives me so much counting, and then I do all right that way. I never flesh a beaver. Using your cage traps, Jim, uh, yep. if I was to use them during fur season, do you get any type of rub from them at all? You know, I'm so glad you brought this up. The beaver um, are absolutely free of damage. Oh. Every, every cage-caught beaver is perfect. When you catch a beaver... Um, now, if you catch a beaver in a foot trap, he's probably going to be in pretty good shape. He runs down the slide wire and and drowns right. pretty quick. But yeah. if you get a beaver in a conner bear, you got marks. You got a mark on the leather, and almost always, especially towards spring, there's a patch of fur that comes out right where that conner bear catches them on the neck. And I and I don't know what it is. It isn't like they're moving. They don't move around in Belial much. I can tell you that. But that patch of fur falls out every single time. 
And yet, when you have cage caught beaver, you you put twenty or thirty of them down and and leaf through them, and that's the first thing you notice. There's not a mark on them. They're perfect. Yeah, the conibear and the snare both will leave marks on the leather. Yeah, and and then you lose a little bit of fur. And, well, and of course, good because our season ends February twenty eighth. Yeah. So there's not, I've not seen that in our beaver here with the conibear. But like I said, we end on February 28th for water animals. So mm-hmm. I've not seen um, that in our beaver. Oh, what, with conibears? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not saying it's much fur. It's just a little plus. Every time I catch beaver here in conibears, I don't care if it's winter or spring or whenever it is, they're invariably, I mean, there's always a mark on the leather, but there's, they're invariably, there's just a little tiny patch of fur, and it's, it's, it's not the, it's not the down, it's just the guard hairs, but a few of the guard hairs fall out, and, um, and it's not that it's bad or looks terrible or anything, but I say when you catch them in the cage, that was the first thing I noticed. I take them off and brush them out, shake them out, and look at them, and I go, wow, this thing is perfect. There's no marks. Do you have water fleas? What's that? Do you have trouble with water fleas on them beaver in your area? Yeah, we got fleas. I don't. I don't mind the fleas though. Man, ones we got here, they're the size of a pinhead. We call them super fleas. You can. It's like the cartoon. You can see hear them ping off the beaver. It's just getting cold. Yeah. You know. Some beaver will have a few, and some of them will have hundreds of them. Uh, right. You get them in your hair, though, it's hard to get them out. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I used to throw the beaver up over my shoulder and carry them, you know, and then in Virginia, and then the next thing you know, you got three or four of those things in your hair, and you're trying to get them out of there, driving nuts. But they don't bite. They don't bite you. But you can feel them. Oh, you feel them all over, drives you nuts. Uh, but, no. um, uh, the, the only thing I don't care for is what uh, we got ticks in them up here now sometimes. You get ticks? Yes. Oh, that is so disgusting. You pick one out of the water with ticks in it, and some of them will have 50 or 100 of them all buried in between their shoulder blades and in their ears. Oh, God, I don't know how they stand it. I've not seen them in our beaver, but this is the first winter in 30 years of catching coyotes in the wintertime. This has been the first winter that I've caught coyotes in December that was full of ticks. Ooh, ooh! T- ticks, uh, ticks are disgusting. And now with the Lyme disease, they say there's about a hundred different strains of it. And there's stuff now that, that the uh, the Lyme doesn't uh, it doesn't respond to antibiotics very well. And there's some people that are uh, really bad shape with it. Yep. There's some kind of disease moving into ticks. It's coming from the south. Oh boy, of it. But if they bite you. It gives you allergic reaction to eating red meat. Oh boy, I was reading it, and any kind of like red protein meat, anything like that, beef. Yeah. It'll for months. It'll get send you into vomiting, convulsions, and stuff. I was reading an article on it, and it's moving south to north, and that would just devastate me. It's that, that sounds like a disease that was created by the vegans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's found, found a way to get us in our own works. That's it. Yeah, say, here, 
let them try this. <laughs> oh, but yeah, this winter we was bad on ticks. I've never seen ticks around here in December. Oh boy, yeah. I, I as a kid, we never had a tick in this country at all. And I had one guy tell me one day I said something about the beaver get ticks, and he said. Oh, no, they can't get ticks. He said, if they go underwater, they can't live under there. Well, that down fur never soaks up anyway. Oh. No. That's, that's how the it's fleas all, It's all oiled up. The fleas live under there. The ticks live under there. They don't ever um, experience the water. All they're doing is breathing air the whole time. Right. Yep. No, they're they're first so thick. That was one thing with the difference with the otter too that we noticed that um, the otter, of course, don't oil themselves up like the beaver do. And when they come up on the bank, the first thing they want to do is roll in the grass and the leaves and dry off. Where the beaver just shakes and he's ready to go again. I like. I had an old trapper learn me a trick how to catch otter with them lies in a five-gallon bucket. That. Does awesome work. Uh, you take a five gallon bucket, drill several holes in the bottom, and submerge it where the top of the bucket's about three inches above water level. Mm-hmm. You set your belay in the top of that bucket, and you put minnows or a bluegill down in that bucket. When nothing else will catch that otter, he'll dip his head in that bucket to get to that fish and get caught every time. And and so the conibear is uh, underwater or above water? It's above water. Sit right on top oh. of the bucket. And and he'll stick his head right down in there. Yes, sir. I bet and they would. The guy that taught what he was doing when I was watching him do it, he was tying the buckets off to piers from boat docks. Yeah. And he would take the bucket and tie it off to the leg of the pier, and set the, where the otter was climbing up there making toilet stations and eating on top of the docks, and he'd just tie the buckets off and tie that conibear down and cut his notches in it like you would for a conibear bucket for coon, but he'd set that bucket straight up on its end, submerge it, set it up on its end, and put a bluegill. He said an orange golf ball will work. Hmm. He said, if you, you drop something down in there, he said, otter will look over and sit, and he'll go down in there to get it, get caught every time, and I've caught several otters that away since he's shown me how to do that. With a golf ball? Well, not with a golf ball. I always use bluegill. Oh, I think golf ball, is that one of their favorite foods? <laughs> <laughs> They're curious. I yeah, they, feel. I know. I know. They do. They come into anything, anything that's shiny or whatever, I'm sure. Well, that's kind of like beaver. I do a lot of uh, mock work, you know, like mock slides and things like that. Right. Uh, I, I put in trees you know, little saplings along the shoreline uh, for for attractant. And I'll tell you, I don't really notice a lot of people ever talk about it or use it, and it works for me. I make my slides quite often and use, uh-huh. and use the oils during the summer and spring work. Just a little oil, yeah. 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 I find that it's more of a territorial thing because – you know, exactly. he he or she knew that we didn't make that, and right. I'm going to come and check it out. So it's, cool. it's kind of a very positive set, you know. Just a, a mock slide. Yeah, mock yep. slide. Yeah. Huh. Just basically, I, I, take, you know, if you're at, you know, go into water, knee deep or whatever, bring up the mud from the bottom, throw it up on, on land and mash it back and forth to get your slide going, 
And yeah. it doesn't have to be, you know, a dugout or anything. I mean, you could do that if you want. You know, dig out like the edge of the river and and just take your your trowel and put it back and forth and uh, to smooth it out, make it look like it's being used. Put a little mud pile up there. You don't have to have caster mound or, you know, caster or anything. Just a mock mound and put your TS-80, well, sorry, Jim, but put your TS-85 <laughs> in that pocket and uh, you got them. I do the same thing, and I use the leg holds or the snares or the conibars on the mock slides. But the only thing I'll do different is is I'll use a little bit of oil sack on that slide. You know, like I said, pure oil sack is a weapon in the pack basket that a lot of trappers don't use. Right. I mean, it's amazing uh, that a lot of uh, fur trappers don't even do nothing with them. They don't do nothing with the beaver. All they're interested in is the height. Right. You know. No, I take um, off. I take off. My, I take my caster, my oil sack out, and the beaver meat. I'll turn my venison into bait before I use my beaver meat. I prefer to eat beaver. I would venison. Yeah, I eat the young ones, but I don't go for the the bigger ones because they. They seem to have that much caster smell to them, you know. I eat them all. I love them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> some guys like it, some guys don't. <laughs> That's true. I'll stick with my steak. <laughs> you know what's interesting, too, about that oil sack, too, is that it is not particularly powerful, but it no. is so lasting. You no. know, it's not strong. I mean, a, a person won't smell it unless they come right up to it. But um, that beaver, of course, has a lot better nose. And, and that stuff, you get it on your fingers, you can't get it off. Yep. Well, it'll last, it'll last through two or three good rains. Oh, I bet it will. Yeah. Well, you figure it's, 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 a, it's a waterproofing for the beaver. You know, it's why he sheds water. On them slides, that's a natural smell for them anyway. You know, yeah. Oh, sure. Right. Smells like a beaver, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you're making mock slides or if you're using a slide that he he himself is using, and it's just like the caster. He knows that oil's not his. Yeah. It's a different smell. <laughs> right, right. I, you know. I, I, you know, when you put caster out or oil sack, I say it's like coming home and you find a pair of shoes under your bed that aren't yours or your wife's. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's where we get caught in a counterbatter, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. But, yeah, I, no, I, I like to, and don't take it wrong, I use a lot of caster, and I use a lot of different casters, different mixes. But that oil sack is something that ain't used much by fur trappers or diesel strappers. Pure oil. Yeah, well, it's, it's powerful. It's 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 powerful lasting. I'll tell you what, you just cannot get it off. All I know is, of course, I was kind of lax about stuff around the house here, and I, you know, you, you drop things or throw stuff out the back door after you're done skinning, and then and then you're wondering why your sofa smells like oil sacks, <laughs> and then of course, there's the dog. <laughs> rolled in every little bit she could find. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of my dad's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, not much you can do about that. that stuff. Is just nasty to get off. But yeah, well, I don't we're get... almost we're almost on our two and a half hours, and we probably should stop the recording here in about maybe ten minutes. Is this still uh, going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had it set for two hours, and uh, I don't know what they say about going over, but we're still talking. We're still giving some information there, so that's good. The, you know, the one the one thing about Castro, I think that at first people don't realize though how good it is, and then at the same time, if a beaver comes into a, a Castro mound where you got a foot trap or you got a conibear or whatever, and he gets whacked or pinched and gets out of it, um, that beaver is not coming back to Castor. No, you're exactly he, right. I, and I tell you another. And I think a lot of people make a mistake over. I think a lot of people over lure a set. Yeah. You know, it, it takes very little caster. It don't take much. And I think I if you for power a mud pie, a caster set, that it'll spook the beaver as well. Because that's just not natural. Right. Yeah. You know, uh the thing is, when you're grinding up, you know, you got five pounds of caster and you grind it all up and you make yourself a great big bottle of lure, then you're out there slapping it on with a you know, with a shovel. And I'm thinking, like, I don't need to put this on. I mentioned it earlier about I just had a paper towel that had just a little tiny bit of caster on it. And um, it, it was dry, crusty, and hardly smelled at all, but you could smell it. And I said, well, if I can smell it, a beaver can. Yep. And... Um, they they come right in, but it's they will they will be so deterred by caster anything that has any caster in it after they get pinched, and you're in trouble. One th- uh, one one thing that's interesting too with the cages that um, I'm I'm beginning to get an idea that these beaver talk to each other a whole lot more than you realize. Because I had I, I pulled up one night, I put out three cages. Uh, put the caster on the bank, but just the way it was, the water wasn't that deep, and it was enough where I didn't care to keep them alive, but it was just enough water so they would be. And I caught three big beaver. They're all, you know, 40, 30, 40, 50 pounds, and um, they're all alive in the cages. Well, I left the, the traps out for next night, a couple nights. I didn't catch a beaver, and I'm thinking, well, it's possible that that's what it was. I just got lucky I got the three. Well, I came back down uh, a few days later, and I get a call from the neighbor. He goes, yeah, they got that dam built back again. I said, well, I guess I didn't get them all. I caught eight more beaver. Those beaver would not come into that caster after I caught the three the first night, and they were all alive. Now, having one live one in there during the night may have helped bring in more, but once I caught those, I'll tell you what. I, I ended up going in with cotton bears and snares and cages in other places because those buggers would not come back to that caster. Jim, I'll tell you a story. Uh, we did a lake. We did a lake. It, it was a closed neighborhood, and it was a public area, but it was more camps. And during the winter, all these nice homes was empty. It was kind of like a vacation spot. And uh, <clears throat> we caught six beaver the first three days and I knew they would still be running that lake 
and I couldn't catch them. Sat there for two more days, never caught another beaver. And actually, there was a game warden helping me. And I told him, I said, we had a little outboard, little 12-foot John boat had an outboard on it. I said, we're going to change things up. We pulled all the traps and just left left for a day. Did come back next day, sent nothing. We come back two days later, and I told him, I said, don't bring the John boat. I said, I'm going to bring a canoe. I brought a canoe in, never reset the areas that I had set up originally, made some offsets like Will was talking about, and set some different locations, and ended up cleaning the pond out. There you caught, go. You know, caught five more beaver. So yep. I agree. They do talk to one another. I think they do. And I, I really think they communicate. Yeah, because, I mean, and that's what it took to catch them. I just pulled out for two days. And I didn't come out outboard. I just changed changed the whole thing, the whole setup up. When, when you talk about pulling out for two days, uh, that's one thing I don't I, – I, two things I don't do. I don't chase beaver. If they call me on a location, I go in and I set, and for some reason they're not responding, they're not there, I'm not going to go up or downstream. First off, I don't have the permission because I don't have the permits for other properties, but it's just, it's just too darn much work, and um, they're going to come back down to the location. You're going to be able to catch them right at the dam at some point anyway. Um, I don't I don't chase them, and if I catch like six beaver and there's one there that that's giving me trouble, and, and that's another thing too, that the last beaver that's giving you trouble does not necessarily have to be the biggest beaver in that pond by any means. Nope. Um, you could catch some 50, 60 pounders, and the one that's giving you trouble uh, weighs 30 pounds. Yeah. Um, and usually it's not real small. Uh, I have had, I think I've only had one time that I had one that I thought was kind of a small beaver that was smart. It was actually, uh, I think a year and a half ago. And I ended up catching him in a foothold. He wouldn't go into cages. We'd already caught, we caught nine at one clip and then we caught two more and it was one straggler left and he was a little guy. He was just a medium beaver, which was a surprise. But, um, um, I say, I don't, I don't chase after him and I, I won't stay there and mix it up with them for protracted periods. If you got a beaver that's smart, I mean, I'll I'll go to plan B, you know, maybe go to my dam set or whatever, but if for some reason it doesn't work out, like within a day or so, um, I'm usually doing by the beaver, so I don't, I can't waste many trips. Right. And, and, and what I'm gonna do is, I, I tell people, I say, I'm not done, I'm not charging you, and when things calm down, and it could be uh, three or four weeks from now, just whatever I, I get the time or I'm in the area or something, but I'll let them completely cool down and then come back in and basically you're, you're not starting with a totally new clean slate because if you went back to your first methods, they wouldn't work. Right. But um, you're going to try something new in a different place, and I won't put in a lot of sets. I may only put in one or two really key special sets that are designed just to take beaver and nothing else. And a lot of times you'll uh, you'll catch them first night. I had right. a, I had a, I had one spot that um, I think it caught six beaver, caught the big male right away, caught all the kids, caught a few muskrats, and that big female that thing would not go in the in the cage or the conibears and. Uh, it was getting ready towards freeze up, you know. It was it was getting cold, 
And uh, I told the guy, I said, look, uh, I'm not done. I'm not charging you. I will be back. And um, what I'll do is uh, as soon as the ice goes out in the spring, she's still going to be there. Uh, and what I'm going to come in is no bait, no lure, and I'm going to put a foothold on that dam. And when she goes over that main dam, I'm going to whack her. And I did first night. Yeah. But uh, it's it just it, – it, it doesn't do you much good to stay there and duke it out with them because um, there was one location we had. We caught 12 beaver, and there was number 13 was left, and that beaver was slick. And uh, finally, I picked up my traps, and uh, they had a deer stand right by the pond. So I said, I'm going to fix your wagon because he's coming out in the evening. And uh, <laughs> I went up in that deer stand, and I got there. And I wasn't there maybe a half hour, 40 minutes or so. And I just focused right dead on that pond. And it was all pretty much overgrown at that point. But that beaver, when he came out of the house, and it was only about a 30-pound beaver, and I watched him. He didn't swim out of the run and start swimming around and chewing and this and that. He came out of that house, and he floated straight up. And he just sat there and sat there. And all that you could see was he's obviously listening and you could just see his nose just twitching just a little bit. And uh, and obviously, once he knows that he's the target, that's when you got the problems. Right. Because he's 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 keyed on everything. And, uh, you know, I end up, I, I, I took him right to the top of the head. He had no idea what was coming. But um, <clears throat> if, uh, uh, if I'd have set any traps out there, you know, he, he was – they're, you know, they become phantoms. You wonder how they got to A to B without getting into any of your, your gear. You know, you got three right. or four sets out there, and you're just scratching your head. How could he do this? How could he patch that dam out with the sets that I got or get on the bank or whatever, and yet they do it? And uh, I've heard some stories. Uh, one guy told me a story about how he couldn't figure out how his traps got sprung or whatever, and the beaver was patching the dam, and he was backing into it. He didn't come in normally. He came in backwards. And I, so you're, I, you're just not planning on that kind of stuff. I, I had a beaver that was would take a would take a would take a stick and fire my traps off. It oh, looked like it looked like a human went up and stuck 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 a pill stick in my traps. In in the conibears. Yeah. And he oh, and he felt he fell in two twenty three. They will absolutely do that, yeah. Once they know what a conibear is, they'll jam them. Yes, sir. They sure will. And they'll that's jam when, them. That's why I'm like you. That's when I'm sitting on the bank, yeah, two twenty-three, watching the water right there before dark. Yep. You know, you just sit sit right there and watch real careful because when when they come up, boy, they're not going to ripple or and and those are the ones I just call them. They're the silent ones. And yeah. they roll under the the any beaver that'll splash. I'm gonna kill That's because right. he's he's stupid. But the one the ones that after they know that splashing is not the way to go, and all they do is come up and look. And and when they go under, all they do is roll under real quiet, and they're gone. They're just total phantoms. Yeah, because we do that a lot in the mountains. Because there's nothing else to do. I mean, you know, you're there. You're living <laughs> yeah. at the hotel. You know, so right, you, right. So you right. set traps all day, and right before dark, you go sit on a pond. You ain't got traps on, and right. out with a rifle. Right. 
Oh, yeah. It's fun shooting them now. Uh, My shooting days have kind of dwindled down because I've really done so well with the cages that I haven't created that many ones that were problematic. Uh, Last year, I didn't shoot any. The year before, I shot one, and then each of the other years, two, and then three. And, uh, I mean, there was other years where I'd shoot 20 or 30 or more and uh, go out of my way. I'd get there at the ponds and and have a blast. But um, now it's like, eh, I just want to go home, go to bed. I drop the trap in and usually catch up with a caster. But... uh, yeah, it, it's it's fun though. You know, it's funny. I'm just thinking of another one too. I had one night that was it was real odd. Um, usually, you think when you shine the light, you know that um, it would spook them. And I think most of the time it does. But I had one one night. I'm sitting there, and it was a big female, and it was uh, it was a stream that wound around a little bit, and there was a spot where. She could come out, but you could just, you're only going to see him for a couple of feet and it was going to disappear again. And actually shining the light up there, I heard her splash a couple of times. And when I shined the light up there, that actually brought her out. Right. She she came out to see what the light was, and then I dropped her. Why I mean, what do you use it like a lot of times when I'm at night? I'm just using my 22. Uh, well, I use a 223 because I'm, like I said, down in the mountains, you know, I might be 100, 100 yards from them up on a okay. there, There's ponds, there's ponds that, the ponds that we pick to shoot on, you know, right. two beaver in them on one big old boar beaver that's built a, home, built a home up there and he's running up downstream. And instead of going down over them cliffs, we get up on top of them cliffs and we just rock them. Right. You know. And and of course you don't care if if you sink them, that's fine. You're not retrieving them if you don't you don't care if you do no, or you I don't. Want, yeah, I want to retrieve all I can, but you, do. you know I'm not I'm not I'm not climbing down over some of them cliffs to retrieve a beaver or take traps down. It's just better yeah. in some of them areas that I'm in is to sit there and pop them with a rifle. Now, are you shooting them in the warm weather where the water's pretty hot? Uh, no, most they don't like me in the cold fields during the heat of the summer because okay. of li- because of liability. Because oh. in my area where we're at in Hazard and Bale and them counties, the sludge ponds they built where they are so fertile, during warm weather, they're just thick, thick with copperhead. Oh, and, uh, you know, we deal with the Rattler, we, you know, the diamond, Eastern Diamondback and the Copperheads, they're just, you know, in their mountains, they're thick. Oh, they want, oh. Uh, they that's, want to in there. that's a whole different ball game. I uh, know, it's good. It's a good ball game. I, I love them snake jobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, you're, you're, um, what, um, a lot of times when I was out, I'd get my, you know, the complaints come right straight through. And if I told somebody in July that they're going to have to wait to November for, for me to come and trap the beaver, I mean, uh, they're not going to be very happy putting up with their roads flooded and more trees coming down and the big mess. So uh, well, here, I'm, out, I'm out there in July and August. The bugs are chewing you up and you're sweating to death and, uh, you know, you're sh- shooting beaver. But um, what was I going to say? Um, 
the interesting thing, I had one spot, and uh, I got there. Usually I bring my canoe with me, and I left in a hurry and didn't bring it. And it was a, the pond, I mean, you could have peed a bigger puddle. It was just a little tiny, maybe right. 100, feet, 100 feet across. And they came right out at dark. It was just barely, you know, just a little tiny bit of light. And um, and I, I didn't even have a light with me at the time. And I I dinged one. He went down. And then I thought, geez, got to be another one here. And he came up, and I dinged him, and he went down. And everything's copacetic except for the the, the people swam in that pond. And I'm thinking, like, I don't want to be leaving no, no dead beaver for them to see swim around, you know, they're not going to be happy with that. So I, I just stayed there and, and waited and the water must've been about 85 degrees in that little pond. And it wasn't 20 minutes later, the first one come up and about 10 minutes later, the other one come up. Right. Well, see and, where I'm at, the, see, it's the reason I'm in them coal fields, like I said earlier, is because of EPA regulations. Right. So them guys won't come in there neither knowing the copperheads are there. So they come in late fall and first of winter to inspect the ponds, and that's when they want me there. Right. They don't really care about them in the summer because them boys ain't going to be running around in their little short-top hiking shoes, tempered like hiking shoes, around a bunch of copperheads and rattlesnakes. You well, know? the copperhead, copperhead isn't even going to warn you at all, is he? No, he don't warn you at all. No, and and even a rattler might not. Right, right. Oh, it just it, that doesn't sound real good. Find <laughs> out I'm further north. <laughs> I, I think I'd be wearing snake boots up to my neck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna have to end the recording. We can jabber once I do that. Um, we're uh, two hours and thirty-four minutes into the show, so um, yeah. Congratulations, guys! You've successfully swamped every other show. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Did we really? Yeah, this is the longest episode yet. There's good still a lot you could. Is that good or bad? Hey, I'm gonna good. love it. <laughs> so I'm gonna end it right now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.